Greetings fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension, this is the greatest show in the galaxy. I'm Mike, she's Emma, and we're joined again once again by Shane Thomas. Hello. And we're going to continue on with our uh, retrospective uh, of Stephen Moffat. So, on Tuesday the 20th of May 2008, the BBC announced that Russell T Davies was stepping down and Stephen Moffat would be taking over as showrunner. Um, so, what did you guys think when the announcement was made? Because I also like had a feeling like, oh good, you know, they've got the right... The right person. person, yeah. Yeah, I was sort of in that in that mindset. But can I just say, sidebar, that was 10 years ago. Fuck me. Yeah, nearly. Oh, Jesus. Nearly anyway, enough. so... Um, <sighs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember being broadly pleased, um, <laughs> but I think there was a there was a feeling in me of like, well, who the fuck else are they going to have? Oh, yeah. um, uh, it was sort of like, um, I mean, because I'm trying to sort of think back to how I felt at the time, and mm. I remember feeling that, well, he he does the good stuff, right? I mean, as yeah. we sort of established a bit last time we talked, um, so I thought, well, safe pair of hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it was I had sort of mixed feelings about it because as much as you sort of think, well, everyone was kind of tired of RTD and wanted to move on, and we we're all ready for a new doctor and all that sort of thing. The 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 comfort of the familiar mm. does hold a does hold a sway over you somewhat. So I was. I did have reservations, but that was purely because um, it was a case of I didn't, you know, the grass is always greener. And mm-hmm. yeah, is it going to be a case of, you know, comeback RTD is for always forgiven? <laughs> I I was happy with the choice. I was happy the way they did it. Um, again, like Emma said, it was it didn't it was um, a case of well that makes sense. And yeah, who hmm. else were the, who felt more qualified at that time? And we it was uncharted territory. Um, I mean, obviously it happened. You know, way back when, but I don't know if it was a news item like who's who's going to replace Douglas Adams or like whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a this was a news item. This was something that people were paying attention to, and it made and Moffat seemed the Moffat seemed like the most qualified person to do it mm-hmm. because you just look at his track record. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of actually present, current uh, day parallel, and also yeah, trying this happened, and this probably Moffat probably came into this era where we weren't at the time paying as much and i mean broadly speaking the overton window wasn't at a space where we were looking at the optics of who was in control of these stories mm. so you think of it was announced what, a week ago or might have been earlier this week at the time of recording that they disney are making a star wars tv show live action and who's been put in charge john favreau mm. and then you look at john favreau's track record and it's like well he launched the mcu which yeah. is probably the most prominent piece of western culture of our generation and that turns mm. 10 this year as well. Jesus. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. You know, and you look at his track record, he, and even with something like, I, I didn't watch it, but his version of The Jungle Book, and he's doing the live-action version of The Lion King. So you're like, well, this guy knows what he's doing and knows how to handle this. It makes it makes sense, beyond the fact that he's a cis-straight white guy, it makes sense just on his track record that he would be given mm. uh, this responsibility by the same token to bring it back to Moffat. It made sense that Moffat would be given this responsibility. Also, he'd had, as we touched upon in the last show, he had experience being the showrunner on programs before. Mm. Because yeah. it is a different, it is a slightly different um, task and responsibility and skill set to write, just writing a show and running a show. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's different being a quarterback than it is the head coach. Yeah. Even though I mean, the skills, even though the skill sets can overlap, it's not exactly the same. I think sports analogies are going to be quite. Oh, I'm going to pre- <laughs> throw a few out this this episode. I'm going to confess. I mean, because we're all sports fans here, as well as uh, Doctor Who fans. So, 
I mean, what I was thinking really before we start, before we sort of started today, was at what point did he cross the Rubicon? At what point does it turn from love to hate? Because um, that always happens to you as a sports fan. Shane's going through that now with Arsenal, I'm sure. I've been through it several times. I'm and kind, like it... I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of more a lapsed fan these days. I've like watched the game in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> and and Mike is about to experience that with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Already happening. <laughs> Already happening. Mm. So it's, um, it's always the thing of, at some point, that there's, a, there's always this very fine line that sports managers and and people who run tv shows have to balance this thing and adoration turns to hate so fast Hmm. um and i was i was sitting there thinking when did it happen with moffat when when did the tipping point happen on that before we actually get to that question you mentioned that that familiarity tends to breed contempt um Mm -hmm. you could say that definitely that's another reason why i think people would happen with moffat because i think everyone would kind of hit the end of our the wall of rtd mm-hmm. to varying points some more than others but i had felt i will forever be grateful that the, without the guy we don't have the show and oh, i think yeah. his, and i think his tenure should be looked upon positively and a tick without any doubt mm. yeah good and bad but but broadly speaking it was good but i felt yeah you've and same with tenant i thought you've served your term you, you the cycle it was a great cycle and the as with happens in sport as well it, there's a natural cycle to things and the cycle just reach your end so it felt it was time for someone new Mm. Yeah. So that I, happened I think, with yeah, it clearly yeah. happened as well. Well, I think it's. I think that Doctor Who is rich with these examples. I mean, JNT uh, being the the best the best sort of previous example of someone who continued to stay probably longer than they did. Um, longer than they should have done. I mean, there was lots of reasons why JNT's tenure went on as long as it did. Um, but I think now that mostly, not by everybody, I, but I think that his time on the show is. Um, look back on with a great deal of fondness now it certainly wasn't I would say in the 90s I think that mm. there was a lot of a lot of con- I think contempt's a strong word but there was a lot of chuntering about the era and um, why the show was in the, the state it was back in the into who years um, it's but now I think there's I mean there certainly is people who grew up with that show are now older and looking you have the ability to look back on these episodes and taking the historical context of what JNT was up against at the BBC and mm-hmm. why he stayed on and why he chose to sort of forge into America or get in and all, all a million different things. But now I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more appreciation for what he did. And I think that, you know, like you quite rightly, you say, Shane, we've, we've kind of been through that with RTD. I was going to say he went from love, turned to hate, then went, now it's a lot more, I think feelings towards RTD are much more mellow now in, in fan circles, as far as I know. Mm. And as far as far as JNT goes, I'm guessing as well that a lot of some of these older fans that have come back around then are some of these fans that don't like that prefer old to and don't like the way the show's gone these days anyway. Well, I mean, I think that I would probably put those people in a category who have said that about who since year dot, mm. and thus their their opinion can be largely discarded. Um... <laughs> <clears throat> That's just if you just listen very right carefully. The sound of a few MP3 players being switched up. <laughs> in disgust <laughs> no but i mean i i do know people who, who who will complain vociferously about everything about doctor who from minute one in and it's you know it's never going to be what 
they want it to be since the revival mm. and i think that i mean i don't know a lot of people who have said right you know i'm now done with the show like old old school fans this is mm. and there's been a couple not gonna lie um but i think that largely these are just people who just want to complain about everything and then you know see you next week so yeah. um it's yeah. kind of the same uh, like with the people you see sometimes commenting as saying like oh i stopped watching doctor who when tenant left it's like well why are you still here then yeah you know, there's been two doctors since then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I mean, going back to um, the beginning, I guess. So, I remember I w- went to see. Um, uh, what did I see? Um, yeah. So, eleventh hour. Yeah. So, yeah, eleventh hour. So, I remember seeing that in a pub full of fans, um, and I remember the reaction being very happy, and people were. I think it was one of those things of it was almost relief. That mm. it was it was good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely had um, yeah, because I was very anxious going in and very pleased with what I got. Not even so much that I didn't even think it would be good, but I was worried that the popularity. We you know, let's not underestimate the show was probably at its most popular mm. the year previous. Tenants yeah. final year and a bit. So there was that thing of is the show only popular because it's tenant. Is I mean more I think it was more the identity of the Doctor than the identity of the showrunner, mm-hmm. but those things kind of worked in concert. Is it only because it's Davis and Tennant, and once they're gone, people, any a lot of the uh, you know apron strings will be kind of be cut or severed at the very least. Um, and I was so glad that even if there were people who are going to leave for that reason, they weren't justified in as I mean they're justified. If they don't like the show, they don't like it, but. They weren't justified in as much as, well, if you don't like the chain, the new Doctor, then fine. But you can't complain the show's still not good. Um, the 11th hour, I think, is a better intro. In terms of the, what, four Doctors we've had since the show's come back, I still mm-hmm. think this is the best debut episode of any new Doctor. Yeah, I, I, I sort of agree with that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think just in terms of, like, pace and energy and in terms of i mean because it's kind of it's a complete break right it's a new showrunner mm. new doctor new companion new everything so it's new titles new <laughs> I mean, titles new music new new everything new yeah. everything. Yeah. So, I mean, even the look of it is different the cameras everything of it looks different mm. yeah the, the so, colors, colors are slightly more bleached if um and the effects the production values have increased yeah. yeah, I mean, what one of the big standouts for Eleventh Hour for me in terms of the production is when you have that bit on the green and the Doctor sort of realizes, like, what did I see? And it goes for that sort of um, sort of time lapsey sort of o- almost Sherlock like. Yeah, character. yes, funny that, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> um, but that really sort of like, stood out to me, and I still remember that fondly. It was like, oh, that's cool. And he sort of like that really sort of helped cement, like, okay, I think this is going to be. All right, because mm. I think I wasn't so much like like Stephen Moffat, like oh yeah, great. Um, I mean Matt Smith, obviously because he was such an unknown at the time. I think everybody was like a bit eh. Um, I mean I remember saying that I, I was kind of sold when uh, during the I think it was like the confidential special that announced him. He had mm-hmm. this moment where he was talking. And he sort of like did this thing with his fingers, and so like oh yeah, I can. That's very doctorish. I can see this now. Um, and yeah, 11th hour is absolutely cracking piece of entertainment. 
and it really sort of yeah. like it hit the ground running, and it had to. Yeah, it certainly did. Um, yeah, yeah, because it's was... that thing. It's like it's like a new coach got to sports manager. It's like a coach mm-hmm. taking over from a team that's won like three championships in five years. It's yeah. not. It's, you ain't taking over a team that hasn't made the playoffs in a little while. You're taking over a team that's been successful, so you need to keep it successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, indeedy. Um, so I think that sort of just gem- gonna just generally skimming over series five. I think series five is is quite successful. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it. I mean, me and Mike haven't gone back and reviewed it yet, but I mean, as a, just a, a general sort of looking over of it, I think it, it's a pretty successful season. I think that it's got it's got that sort of it's it, it's sort of one of the last long series because they had once they had the the the, the blocks of 12 or 13 mm-hmm. they sort of had series six and then they started to play around with how the series went out so i think that they this is the this sort of series is maybe the reason why because there's always this peak and trough thing with mm-hmm. the series that you sort of start pretty good and then by episode four things are starting to drop off pick up a little bit for six then you have the two-parter which always is the lowest rated then it picks up again right at the end um Mm. and i think that that is like series five in a nutshell i mean because you have i mean a a great opener so everyone was back in for the beast below which i think is an okay episode i think the beast below i think i I rewatched it a couple of days ago i think it's better than okay Okay, fair enough. I mean, because I haven't watched it again for a while, mm-hmm. so um... I'd, I'd only seen it once, and I rewatched it a couple of nights ago. It's actually, I think it's un- in an, uh, inadvertently very timely. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. actually, I mean, I haven't watched it since um, uh, recent events. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, you know maybe uh, it's a thing of uh, it would be better sort of going I, back to it there. I'd say um, I'd say it's worth. I'd say there's. It's, I would say to people listening, it's worth a rewatch. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, sort of moving on, and then you get to, like, Victory of the Daleks. Which, for and... me was, that was the only weak episode of the series. Mm. I, I actually like the series, I think, seemingly more than you two did. There was, yeah, I, I, uh... I, wasn't, I wasn't crazy about the Silarian two-parter. It was all right. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, the only, that's the what only, I'm about, yeah. The only bad episode, I thought, of the series that I thought, okay, this isn't good, is Victory of the Daleks. Everything else, I think, is... At least three stars. Yeah. If not bed. Yeah. I think that... I mean, it seems stupid to bring it up now, but, I mean, I think there was a little bit of... I mean, something that RTD used to get accused of a fair bit was kind of that kitchen sink soap opera thing. And I think Mm -hmm. there was a feeling amongst sort of the old nerds that I know that somehow they sort of got it in their minds that Stephen Moffat wasn't going to do such a thing, that it would be... You know, he's not that sort of writer. The RT, that's RTD's thing. Moffat won't do this. And then when you get um, Rory turn up, hmm. and then you get things like the Vampires of Venice. Yeah. And I remember there was a fair amount of chuntering that, oh, we're going back to the kitchen sink again. What What were they basing that on? Well, I mean, because uh, the load of old dudes who don't want to see anything about relationships... <laughs> Get all your relationships out of Doctor Who. I just want aliens and blowing things up. And, you know, the Doctor being cool. Uh, so when any sort of hint of, you know, drama uh, it, like that. Yeah, I mean, for me, this episode had all of it. Because, I mean, the scene where the Doctor faces off with... Uh, is it Princess Saturnine? The oh, uh, Signora Calvieri. 
Yes, thank you. The fucking hell, what's her name? Um, Damien Lewis's wife, but she's an, she's a very good actor in her own right. She's from Peaky Blinders. Um, crap, hang on. <laughs> Helen McCrory. Helen McCrory, yeah, and um, Penny Dreadful. She, um, mm-hmm. That scene, that face of her have is tremendous. Mm. And it is mm-hmm. the Doctor, you know, um, just running the show. Uh, yeah. Running the show, I'm. I thought, yeah, this was a Toby Whithouse one. This, um, I thought mm-hmm. was pretty good, and it, it did. I mean, it would use relationships to do it, but it, it looked to the idea of what being around the Doctor does to a companion and the stuff it makes a companion do, mm. which isn't always good for them. That's something that comes along a lot more in Clara's final season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is kind of a a Stephen Moffat trope for. Doctor Who, I think that he is really interested. I mean, I've sort of said before that I think Moffat digs into the idea of this being a time travel show mm-hmm. really more than anyone else does. Yeah. Uh, yeah and and part of that is using that to show what happens to a companion. I mean, it, it's, not a, it's not really an exaggeration to say that Doctor ruins Amy's life. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's it's right up there in eleventh hour. Uh, within does it does he? Well, I mean... changes it changes it irrevocably. Like the Doctor has ruined companion lives. I don't know if he ruins Amy's. You think what she ends up doing? It kind of feels like he does at the start because he sort of like ends up crashing the TARDIS in a back garden. I mean, we didn't really know that much about like the crack in time at this point. Yeah, um, I mean, how it affect her parents. Thinking... I'm yeah. thinking a whole arc. I'm not thinking this. Oh, is yeah, serious. it's true. Oh, about, right, right, right. Yeah. If you're talking, if you're talking this series, then you're at the point. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then she winds up in therapy for years afterwards, talking about some imaginary friend. They think she's mentally her all her relatives think she's mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet she waits for, which again is a trope that comes up again. She waits a long time for the doctor to return. Yeah. And then she's just about to get married, even if she doesn't really want to. And then the doctor yeah upends, can totally disrupts that. Mm-hmm. So the idea, the idea of domesticated bliss in the countryside, and yeah. the doctor, yeah, comes, and the doctor comes along and says like, nope, and come <laughs> travelling. So yeah, I mean, so, yeah in, in series maybe. Yeah, I think in series five, series five, I think that there is, there is elements of that. I mean, especially when you get to things like Amy's Choice. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of an episode that I remember I had. <laughs> I remember having a, a debate with Boz about because Boz hates like um, dream within dream things, for some, apparently. Hmm. So um, he did not okay, enjoy I, this episode. <laughs> I've, I've just decided I'll get him a uh, DVD of Inception for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Are you funny enough, I don't know what his opinion of Inception is. I have to ask him. But, I can't um... make positive if he doesn't like dreams within dreams. <laughs> Yeah, um, so, I mean, it's kind of, it doesn't really pull any punches about um, Amy's, I mean, Amy's very conflicted feelings about Rory Mm. and all of that stuff. I mean, it's, Moffat as well here is kind of putting down a bit of a marker about, I mean, something that RTD sort of had a crack with, a crack at with Midnight Mm. of, these things of like consequences and like heavy shit happens. It's not all like jolly fun, skipping from planet to planet and having adventures and things like that. I mm-hmm. mean, RTD had a go at that. And you have to remember, Midnight was a, a, a almost literally a filler episode, a episode we had that was meant to happen, can't happen. I need to write something in like a week, yeah. and it was and it was Midnight. 
Mm-hmm. Which, which, yeah. which, to be fair, if that's what we're getting, then I wish he'd done it more often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Mm. Yeah, so uh, let's and, not talk about because Mike is still traumatised by midnight. So, um, and, but the point, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and Amy's choice actually does it goes for the conflicted feelings, but the co- mm. the conclusion of it is that Amy does want to be with Rory. Yeah, because yeah. she gets confronted with the for the first not for the first time the notion of Rory dying. Mm. Yeah, that comes up a bit. Yeah. So and then we find and then we find <laughs> out how she really feels. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I think that he's not afraid to put people through the ringer, like in a really kind of hardcore way, mm. and for it to have lasting effects. And obviously that is something that he's going to take to the extreme. Um, I think that uh, this this series also sets up a, a Moffat trope, which is, the, I think, the thing that people, I think, came to hate the most about him um, and his and his style on the show, which was the the overarching plot use i mean it's something that rtd obviously institutes you have torchwood and all that mm. sort of thing um but so you but series five you came to expect it so the the crack in the wall and the pandorica and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. i think that um i didn't i sort of found it an okay run through i think it never lives up to the the promise of doctor in at the end of uh hungry of sort of reaching into the crack in the the t- i'm pulling pulling out that bit of the tardis mm-hmm which I think is a really cool shot, but it yeah. never really lives up to that expectation. I think the big bang and the Pandorica opens are, is a bit of a mess. Mm. Uh, I see. I really like the Pandorica opens. The the big bang isn't as good. Uh, mm. The Pandorica the Pandorica opens my favorite episode of the season, of the series. I thought I thought the Pandorica okay. opens were tremendous. Partly because the Doctor gets the best monologue, um, maybe the best monologue since the show's come back. Mm. it's in the conversation it's in the conversation and the fact that you go mm, you don't even have to ask which one you know the one i mean yeah true yeah. that's that is very true yeah yeah and i think, it, and I, think I, I even raised pandorica opens cliffhanger is probably my favorite of the new series so just and it does the, it ends on a trem- it does end on a tremendous what the fuck moment yeah it is it is literally one of those cliffhangers you just go oh shit how are they gonna <laughs> yeah fix this one yeah, yeah, like they obviously, yeah, they they obviously will fix this, but I really yeah. don't know how. Mm-hmm. So, so therefore, I have to come back and watch next week. Mm-hmm. I think the the problem with the whole uh, crack in time and the TARDIS exploding thing is it's <coughs> it never really gets followed up. It sort of no. just gets like I mean, you don't know who that voice is saying. You know, silence will fall as the the TARDIS screen cracks, and then you know, River's trapped and it's about to blow up in her face. You know, a lot of people say, oh, is that Davros? Is it, you know, whoever? And I think you sort of, I think the, the inference is it's supposed to be the silence. But again, yeah. it doesn't really get elaborated on. It just sort of gets sort of put onto the back burner and you sort yeah. of like hope it's going to come back for the next series. And then it never does. That's, yeah. a, that's a less spoken of frustrating trope about, again, having rewatched a few episodes. This isn't the first first and last time. Sorry, it is the first time, but the last time mm. he does this. Um, I'm yeah. going to have to talk about it now because it's late. This is a later series, but this happens a bit. Interesting things get like interesting uh, breadcrumbs get laid down, mm-hmm. but they don't. But the breadcrumb leads into a wall. Yeah, yeah. In the or, or or what? Something that sort of I thought I felt going into series six that the breadcrumbs are added to other breadcrumbs, and the breadcrumbs become a loaf that we're not going to even cut into and make a size uh, make a bit of bread out of. Yeah, it's like it's... can we have a sandwich at least? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can I have a sandwich, a bit of toast, you know, mm-hmm. anything? And it's like, no, you will have none of this. I'm going to now construct another loaf. It's like, no, but what about the previous loaf? <laughs> so, the, yeah, there is a touch. There is, um, that was maybe, um, 
beyond the kind of social analysis in terms of just narrative and craft that that's probably the thing that irritated me not like pissed me off but just almost irritated me because it was interesting it was like mm. oh this is actually this there's a good, really good idea in here it's not like i don't care about this like no i actually care about this but um yeah but it did but yeah, it was a full stop and not a comma. It's like this, yeah. what what happens next? Um, hmm. So the, yeah, there was there was a, a bit of that in throughout um, uh, Moffat's throughout Moffat's tenure. Um, I just um, wanted to have gone past it, but just to talk yeah. briefly about Beast Below, um, just because yeah. I rewatched it recently. Um, and I, the reason this stood out more is because there are similarities between this and Thin Ice, mm-hmm. which, which yeah. from Capaldi's last series, and it reads a lot like an allegory for immigration. Um, there was actually a, t- a little bit, a little bit in the eleventh hour, the scene when the doctor confronts the Atraxi and he gets scanned and the Atraxi says you're not of this world and he goes no but I've put an awful lot of work into it mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because it, in some ways the doctor is is a person without a home and uh, definitely at this point in the show he is mm. mm-hmm. um, so he almost reads like um, as Theresa May would call him a citizen of nowhere. And it's it would be I don't know if it depends how if Chibnall wants to be influenced by the real world or if he wants to actually go away from that. But the opportunity is there, and it depends how he does it to write Whitaker's Doctor um, through the landscape of immigration. Because I know some people have sort su- of proffered a theory that the TARDIS chucked her out. Is she going to be without the TARDIS for maybe not the whole series, but maybe a bit of it? Mm. Mm. Um, in fact, Midnight as well, there's that line in Midnight when Lindsay Coulson's character, when he says, I'm a traveler, and she looks at him and goes, look, icily goes, what, like an immigrant? Um, the Beast, but I mean, not so much, partly the Doctor, but there's obviously a parallel between the Starwell and the Doctor, mm-hmm. um, both as being, you know, the, the land wolf, literally it's the UK, subsisting off this creature, um, treating it like shit, but it can't survive without it. Mm-hmm. And then it realizes if you stop treating it like shit, it actually will help the the, the um, help the, the country or the the nation state be a better place, yeah. as it were. It's also got a good joke, which again didn't seem timely at the time, but is now. Um, <laughs> which you may already know what I'm talking about. Where um, because um, you know, yeah, because did, I didn't notice that when I watched it again. I was like, oh, Devon, Surrey, you know, like mm-hmm. Gloucester. I'm mm-hmm. Like, where's where's the rest? Of, where's the rest of the UK? And there's a line about yeah, where's Scotland? And it's like, oh no, they wanted to go off on their own. <laughs> and, yeah. And Amy being Scottish goes, oh, good for them. <laughs> yeah, because there, there's no Scotland and start. There is no, in fact, no Wales or Northern Ireland either. No. Um, so you know what? I mean, you know, maybe Moffat does have a Tardis of his own, and he knew what was coming. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, with as well with the Beast Below. I mean, um, it, Series Five um, has got some some real bangers in it. I mean, mm-hmm. Vince and the Doctor for a start. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I liked it rather than loved it, but I know a lot of people really love that one. I thought it was good. Um, I, I didn't think I liked the villain. The villain just didn't land with me at all. Oh the, no, the Crafeus were yeah. basically just a naked budgie. No, <laughs> you can you can keep that. But I mean, obviously the stuff with Vincent is is great. So mm-hmm. and, and Bill Nye at the end is is pretty awesome. So yeah, yeah, I mean it sort of stands up for that with that. It's it's definitely it's not a bad episode by any means. It's it's worth a rewatch. And I think the one after that, I don't think it's the best episode, but I think the Lodger episode is Matt Smith's best performance. In, in this series I'm talking about. This right. is where he really felt like the Doctor. Like he felt yeah. he, he'd completely got this character down. Like I don't know where it was in the shooting schedule. I, if I had to guess, I'd say near the end. Because I think he totally had the character. Because part of the um, the conceit of the episode is this person pretend this alien 
pretending mm. to be a human and being out of place pretending yeah. to be a human not understanding all the cultural and not even just a new uh human but specifically an english british human because he doesn't understand some of the cultural norms mm-hmm. so he sometimes does it's nothing like horrible but just odd yeah which, I, which always felt like the doctor should be in smith's doctor i think this is why smith's doctor is my favorite because mm-hmm. he does feel just slightly out of place yeah kind of like when he does like the the kiss on the ch- on each cheek so like, which was more yeah. of a continental thing rather than what we do here and you're right the lodger was uh, in the last recording block uh, along with amy's choice so yes i mean by then you know he, he's kind of he's kind of nailed it by then i mean yeah, i think yeah. you're quite right shane although mind you it has for me got one of the more notorious abandoned crumbs in it of the the replica tardis yeah I mean, I think it does come. Well, you know, what? I didn't remember that. Until you just said I haven't rewatched this one recently. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's that's a point. Yeah, I think that sort of set does come back in Day of the Moon. It's like the silence space. So, yeah, but then it's sort of like, well, did the silence create this sort of um, pseudo Tardis that was above uh, Craig's house, or what's going on? But again, like you yeah, say, never, never elaborated on. And to be fair, do they even bring it back when we see Craig again? Because they bring the character back. Nope. No. No, he just has to deal with the Cybermen. Because I feel like they wanted to do something with it because I have a Lego set of it. <laughs> well, I mean, the fake Lego. The, 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 the people who made um, sort of the knockoff Lego uh, Doctor Who sets a little while mm-hmm. ago, I can't remember who they're called. They did a... They had it branded as a silence... Mm-hmm. Um, t- like fake TARDIS. Mm. Yeah, so, I, you know, I had it, built it, thought... You know, see you again soon. Nope. Nope. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> this might lead. Sorry, is there anything else you, you guys want to say about series five? I was going to just. Uh, I was about to sort of nutshell it a, a, oh, a sorry, bit. No, sorry, but, yeah, go, no, no, go for it. Go for it, Shane. Go on. No, no, because my point is kind of to do with what happens. It's to do with the stuff we've said, but also leads into what happens next. So that can I can put that to put a pin in that. And okay, well, I was, well all I was going to say was, you know. Series one, or series, series one of the, the Moffat's tenure. Series five is is now over. I mean, I remember sort of feeling generally happy about what I'd seen. I thought mm. it was pretty strong. There were things I thought, okay, you know, but you you can't, you're never going to have a series. You're very rarely going to have a series where every single one is, you know, knocking out the park. You're always going to be yeah. like, eh, that one's okay, or that one's really good. And um, I think that it was generally in keeping with kind of the rhythm of the series that I think we'd all got used to from like what we'd done previously. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think, you know, fan reaction was pretty generous as well at the time. You know, people were quite happy like Smith, like I think there was mixed feelings on the companion, but there always is. And, um, you know, but generally I think Moffat's getting a, you know, a solid B for most people, you know, if not better. Yeah. That's what was my feeling. I, th- I still think it's one of the stronger series of the show full stops has come back and, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this was definitely, uh, you like, as a Doctor Who fan, I felt in a very good place at this point. Yeah, I thought it was the most consistent, I think it's one of the more consistent ones, most definitely, yeah. because when we're moving on to Series 6... Yeah, um, just, yeah just, you... just, to, just to say, is that, well, kind yeah. of repeating, but Victory of the Daleks is the only episode from that series I really don't have any interest in ever watching again. But every other every other one, even the Cellar in two-parter, I wouldn't have a problem with rewatching any of them, in terms of consistency. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, so yeah, I, 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 yeah. I just think that I, I think so with us, I mean, we will watch the you know the most dreadful shit over and over again anyway. So <laughs> that we our, our our bar for rewatching things is far lower. I think me and Mike. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, so I think but it's, that, it's research purposes for you. 
Research purposes, yeah, yeah well, yeah. just sort of memory refresh purposes, you know, I mean, but we in this house have sat through the entirety of, of Time Lash more than once, so, I mean, it's, mm. it's, it, it, you know, we, we, we're, we're poorly when it comes yeah. to, you know, we're poorly in the head about it, pretty much, so, anyway, <laughs> moving on to Series 6, so, yeah. you know, again, mood's pretty good, everyone's looking forward to it, and, you know, skip it, I, I remember not, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the Christmas Carol, I, am. I think that, I know most people aren't, I really like that. Mm. Oh, because I mean, I'm I'm sort of a thing of like, oh, this is sort of um, I I mean, I haven't watched it again for a while. I have rewatched it since, but I I don't think it really hangs together all that well, and it's just an excuse for Catherine Jenkins singing a nice song at the end. But that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's not it's not like an original idea by no. any stretch, but um, but no, I mean, maybe it's because the idea the not the story itself is so timeless. Hmm. Of a Christmas Carol, that uh, as long as you don't completely fuck it up, um, then it's you. At least I found it enjoyable. I didn't, I didn't mind the shark. Um, but they kind of they kind of delved into an idea of why would Scrooge be the way he is, hmm. um, which yeah. I think is very de jour for TV writing at that point. Yeah, if someone was if someone was an antagonist or a villain, you had to go into why. Yeah. Uh, Catherine. Well, yes, but that's why she's there. Um, so it, it, that didn't bother me and she, do, she didn't do anything she didn't have to do much acting but the acting she did wasn't terrible and she wasn't totally wooden hmm. um, there were enough jokes in there so uh, I like the notion of Christmas being halfway out of the dark mm-hmm. so I guess all the, and I think Matt Smith's performance is again one of his best Yeah, He's, she just seems so in his groove at this point mm-hmm. but I have at this point I've and it's the, maybe the biggest compliment I can pay him is that I've totally forgotten. Not even like, oh, Tenant was shit. I've totally <laughs> even forgotten Tenant. Not as in I've forgotten he existed, but when I'm watching Matt Smith, I'm no point even subconsciously comparing this performance to Tenant. Oh, no. Or no, Eccles- I think, Eccleston's. Yeah, I, think... I, just, I just feel like I'm watching The Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're quite right there, actually. I think that the, the switch came for me quite, quite early in Series 5. It, I think the, the litmus test for me is... When you go back, when when not when you've got a current Doctor, and then you go back and watch an episode with an old Doctor in it, you kind of go, "Oh yeah, that guy," sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like you you in your mind, he's now been reclassified as an old Doctor, mm-hmm. and I think for me that that happened sort of about two thirds of the way through series five, that David Tennant went into the my filing cabinet as a previous Doctor, yeah. and Matt Smith had yeah. had occupied my present Doctor filing cabinet yeah um like, there's multiple there's always multiple doctors but there can only be one, one. the yeah there can only be the uh, one the at any one time the incumbent, you can't have, yeah. mm. and obviously who the doctor is to you can depend it's not the same for everyone but yeah when the current incumbent feels like the doctor mm-hmm. um which by which by the way i mean they, they won't but the media and listeners need to give jody, jody Whitaker some time because she will not feel like the doctor in the first couple of episodes no and it's unfair to expect it to be. It will take her episode like it did with everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so and, coming and to series, a, this is a half. This is a half series. Cup you're talking about six, isn't it? Yeah. So this I was going to say is the, the, the split series. So this is where uh, I, I remember the announcement being made, and there was great 
mm. rending and gnashing of teeth mm-hmm. um, when this announcement was made because any any sort of alteration to the schedule or number of episodes will always be seen as the BBC is trying to kill Doctor Who. <laughs> this is the beginning of a stealth move to start killing Doctor Who. Mm. And, uh, yeah, the, the notion of the series being split was, was definitely seen in this regard. Mm. Um, I think that Series 6 is a good first half and a wonky second half. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's the, as, a, uh, as a half, it's the best half. Yeah, the first half the first is... first half is outstanding. Yeah, and second, then it really... Second half really isn't. Second half. and But, I mean, I think this is as well... The, by the time we get to the end of Series 6, I know people were starting to grumble about mm. Moffat. And yeah, I, I think... Uh, and I think that not only... I think that the the part of the thing that started it off for people that I know is that when people started complaining about the split, and obviously this was when, I think Moffat was still on social media at this point, he had an entirely abandoned Twitter and all this sort of thing, Mm. people got mingy. And I think the reality of having to deal with shitty fans who have, (laughs) you know, who are going to complain about everything you do nonetheless, but Mm. will... These fans who will see this as an attack on their Doctor Who, that you're splitting their series. Well, I mean, a lot of the people giving them grief weren't fans. They were just trying to give a famous person grief. Grief, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that, the you know, the way that but Moffat yeah, handled is- that... I mean, I'm not going to say that he's wrong, but I remember the Moffat sort of saying, look, you don't know what you're talking about. It's going to be fine, which is true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you might want to just, you know, park that feeling elsewhere and, you know... Yeah. Well... The thing is, is that the reason he actually wasn't on social media Twitter for that long, and the thing is, we have to look, think why he wasn't Twitter. There was a very specific reason why he joined Twitter, and I have my notes here, and I only have one thing in all caps in my notes, and that's Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Just that one, yeah. Because this now is where Sherlock comes into it, and this yeah. affected everything that comes yeah. next. Comes next. Yeah. You 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 mentioned. We've just mentioned that was a good idea. They never followed that up. That was a good idea. They never followed that up as a breadcrumb. It just led smack into a wall. Mm-hmm. He, that train journey that he and like, as much as I have enjoyed Sherlock, and to be fair, without Sherlock, who knows where Martin Freeman coming back careers would be about it. Mm-hmm. But you know, if I had like you know my own TARDIS, I might go back and find a way to stop one of Moffat or Gates getting on that train, which when working on Doctor Who and having that conversation. Just about oh yeah, the, I used to love when they did this in Sherlock Holmes, and oh, would it be funny if they wouldn't it be awesome if they made a you know modern day version of it on TV? Because <laughs> then they followed, they ended up doing that, they followed it through. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing is, and if you go online, you can still see this: the first episode of the pilot, if you will, episode of Sherlock, which was an hour and an hour and a half, mm-hmm. which was filmed and is mediocre. I think it's, it's on the DVD set, you know. Is, I feel yeah. like it's on our. Oh, yeah, it's it? on our. Okay. Yeah, it's on the DVDs. I'm sure right. it is. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it on YouTube. Um, it's just such a, you know, it's like it's like a prototype for what became Sherlock. Mm. But mm. that initially was the, the version that they were going to air, and the BBC looked at that and was like, mm. "Well, nah, mate. Yeah. we've already given them money for it, so we're going to put this on in the summer, in the dead part, dead part of the schedules, <laughs> on a Sunday, <laughs> at like half eight. When yeah. no one's going to watch it because we just need to air it and dump it. Mm-hmm. And Moffat and Gates knew this. Gates was already on Twitter, and I don't know if converse- Gates convinced him. I don't know the reason why, but what I do know is the attempt to try and promote the show, Moffat then joins Twitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason is to try and promote Sherlock. Yeah. And it ends up becoming a social phenomenon. 
because obviously they, they redid it. It became an hour and a half. They mm. they recast a couple of actors. The production value was so much better. They got Paul McGuigan in to direct it, which really helped. And all of a sudden, you have a a middling police procedural something. What I've never watched Elementary, but what I imagine Elementary probably is. You go from that to one of the biggest tele, maybe the biggest television show of British TV that year. Mm. Yeah. Martin Freeman is uh, a award winner because of that show. Yeah. And it's kind of ironic when you think so, like, they, they remounted it because that's kind of what happened to Doctor Who in the first place, right? Back in 63. They did yeah. the very first... Was it the first episode or the, 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 the whole of An Unearthly Child? And they sort of like went, uh, but uh, said to Newman says, right, okay, tell you what, redo it. And yeah, then, I think it was the first episode of An yeah, Child. Yeah, it had another go at it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you're quite right, Shay. I mean, it's... it's it's one thing to juggle, but now he's juggling with cannonballs. Yeah. Because, it, I mean, I think, obviously, no one anticipated Sherlock would take off like it did. But now he's got two super, you know, a, a venerable, ancient TV show to keep going. He has. The he has. super yeah. whopping soar away phenomenon. He's now in charge of the two of the ten biggest shows on British television. Maybe two of the biggest five. Hmm. Yeah. Definitely two of the biggest ten at this point. And it's like J.J. Abrams. You'll see J.J. Abrams will be associated with like two films and four TV shows all at the same time. But he's not actually working on most of them. He's not mm. in a writer's room, you know, two different writer's rooms and three movie sets. You know, he, his, he kind of he's like the chairman rather than the chief executive. Yeah. Moffat's yeah. like the chief executive. He, he has to do so much work mm. at this point. Well, I mean, imagine trying, I mean, going back to our sports analogy, imagine trying to manage two football clubs at once. Because that's what he's trying to do. Yeah, yeah. In, in different in different countries, so there's like no direct conflict of interest. Yeah, you, you're all of a sudden now you're managing you're managing Chelsea and Barcelona. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you're the, or if not the manager, you're the the director of football, the general manager of Chelsea and Barcelona. Man, yeah, make them spin all those plates without any of them crashing to the ground. Yeah, and so workload. and it's not even workload, it's. That what happens in between the workload? Like I, when he was on Twitter, I do remember one tweet I saw of his where he said, "I can't remember the specific phrase." It was like right re like crunching gears, or that's an American phrase. I probably probably did say crunching gears, or re, you know recalibrating their mind now to do Sherlock. And it's just like, and I bet he like finished Doctor Who script, script like earlier that day. And it's like now I have to put all of that out of my head. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, I'm world building two places. I have to put one world out of my head and now go right into another world. And, you know, it's almost like I've just landed. I, I, I went to Australia. I came back to straight to Heathrow, but I'm not going home. I'm going to another gate in Heathrow because I now have to go to Peru. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just that's going to that's going to I don't care who you are. That's going to burn you out mentally. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as well with Doctor Who, the problem was as well that he was working on this immense well, universe-shaping arc mm. that was still ongoing from the previous series. So he's got to keep all that in mind as well mm-hmm. as construct a whole new world for Sherlock. So, you know, like you say, the, pa- the plate-spinning aspect of it was just ridiculous. I mean, we, we all know that in at work, all you ever seem to do is be solving problems. You're never actually doing your job. Mm-hmm. So imagine that times two. That your phone must be just ringing constantly with like you know stupid questions about what we're doing about this and where's this script and blah 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 but constantly. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, it must be bad enough on one of them, let alone two. But anyway, so this was the background to Series 6. And yeah, things particularly, start... the, particularly the second half, particularly the second half of Series 6. Yeah, so, mm. I mean, and it shows because the first half of Series 6 is tremendous. But, by the um, way, is that why we think there's a split? I think I've, that was part of the reason, wasn't it? Um, I all right. Actually, I looked this up, and I think Moffat said, "Yeah, this is this, this is this is one of these like I'm just waiting for that book. Yeah. Give me that book. I want to know what happened. Yeah, okay. Or give me the give me the documentary. I want to know what happened. Okay, so uh article from August 29th, 2010 uh, says the split transmission is the result of a request from Stephen Moffat to write a new Doctor Who story arc which involves a big plot twist in the middle of the series by splitting the series Moffat plans to give the viewers one of the most exciting Doctor Who cliffhangers and plot twists ever leaving them waiting on the edge of their seats until the autumn to find out what happens so I think it was more so as part of that he wants to do the mid-series finale which is like much more of a thing these days um, yeah. But also, I think, although I don't think you would admit to it, it's the whole summer slump thing. Because, you know, the days are yeah. longer, nice weather, people don't want to be sitting in the house watching Doctor Who, they want to be down the pub or having a barbecue in the back garden. So that's why um, Series 6 stops uh, in very early June and doesn't come back till what? August, September? Yeah, yeah, August. Yeah. Last last week of August it came back. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, because as as well, like we were talking like I was just talking about series five. Mm-hmm. Always in but in the long series, episode eight was always like the lowest rated one because people, like you say, it was you know, time of year and um people were like, you know, I'll come back for the end of it, I'll catch up with it later mm-hmm. and you know, nothing's really happening. So yeah. yeah, by splitting the series it takes that away. Um, so, I mean, it gets off to a great start with the opening two-parter, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we fi- that... We finally see the silence. Finally see the silence. There's yeah. lots going on. I think that there's... I, I think that... Uh, and it sort of sets up, uh, you know, a, a, the, the continuing mystery sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember a bit of moaning at the time it was starting to get too complicated, which is a consistent problem with Moffat's uh style um i didn't really agree at the time i thought it was fine if he was paying attention Mm -hmm. but i do think that it does become more of a problem as more and more threads don't get picked up and he just rather than answering questions keeps actually just adding more to it Mm -hmm. um which again is something that's a problem that keeps going to keep coming up i think that the curse of the black spot is maybe a bit flabby it's yeah, okay i watched it again recently it's, it's not as bad as i remember hmm. it's not as bad as i remember it's, it's, it's okay it's, it's i always oh, okay yeah it was just okay yeah. you know and it's, it's one of those things that particularly in a full series where it's like 12 13 episodes you're going to get one or two of those a series and mm-hmm. yeah. i think you're always going to be like i mean unless you're on run to be fair there's plenty of unreasonable fans out there but i think most fair my defense be like yeah well that's fair we're going to get a couple of episodes is it watchable and it was watchable mm-hmm. um you know it wasn't mind-blowing I haven't seen it again for ages, and I can't imagine I, I will anytime soon. But it wasn't horrendous. I mean, and that's always my thing. Like, is it bad? It wasn't bad. Hmm. Mm. Um, but I mean, it's it's all about the Doctor's wife, really, as yeah. of sort of coming up for it. I mean, it's a a tremendous episode. I mean, I actually prefer a Good Man Goes Tour, but Doctor's wife is also outstanding. Yeah, I would. Um, I'm not going to fight anyone that says they prefer that. Hmm. No, I mean, um, but I'm like I say. Well, just sort of skipping ahead a bit, you know, it's all leading up to a good man goes to war. Yeah. Um, I think that I remember Mary actually sort of saying to me at the time, 
that what she sort of was getting annoyed about is at the end of every episode, there's this little thing of don't forget the mystery. Mm. Don't forget this thing about she's, the baby. Right. And don't forget this. And don't forget this thing about the eye patch lady and the silence and the tesselector. And you know, it was just constant stuff, mm-hmm. you know, as well with, you know, like with, with the crap series five, yeah. like you've, got your episode you got your name your narrative you maybe a monster of the week whatever and then at some point normally at the end then it's like remember the the mystery thing the mystery thing that that yeah. we're gonna we're gonna go back to this whether it's a crack whether it's yeah a baby whether it's a woman looking at a picture of the doctor which comes in the later series um <laughs> without any context or explanation for who that is but but it's more it's kind of more a look at the shiny look at the shiny the shiny will be important later mm. And yeah, you could you, you could make the case it was a little bit of overkill. You didn't need to do that every week. Yeah, hmm. but it's like it was sort of that thing of it, it's a thing of your bit. It's a sort of a mixed feeling of you're being kind of hit with the idiot stick, as well <laughs> as this. This is actually fa- the actual meat of the episode is fairly complicated, so you need to be paying attention to it. But then, like the episodes sort of call you you know you dumb idiot don't forget about the thing you've been concentrated on for the past 44 minutes it's like yeah okay mm-hmm. this, off yeah see, my, my theory for this is that this is to do with the changing and we're still in this um interstitial phase where television habits and how people watch television and who television is made for is changing and this is mm. more prominent in america and it hasn't really landed clearly either way yet so this is why you get a, you get a schism where it particularly, you know, if you look at American television and people who talk, there is a cottage industry of people, of media and podcasts and blogs and websites about television programs, particularly genre fiction television, mm. and people talking about it the way we're talking about it right now. Mm. Yeah. That's not so much the case in this country for what is regarded the quote-unquote everyday watcher. The person that comes home from work and is tired and just throws on whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so you have a show that is ostensibly for the quotation marks everyday television watcher, but isn't being made. But is is being made for I think and being made by someone who loves television down to its to its roots, to its granular level, and loves Easter eggs and sidebars and mysteries and. Mm-hmm. And, and meanings and look at look the reason that color of the um, you know that that wall isn't painted red is because it links to something here or it's reminiscent of another television show that you might watch mm. um so moffat is trying to create something in the vein and personally i like this because this is like how i personally like to watch television but in the vein of something you would more see in american genre fiction where britain um still there's a there's a split between people who really love watching specific you know, loves television down to its roots, and people who just watch television to watch television. I think that that's right, and I think the, that was the kind of the the schism in the people don't don't watch Doctor Who that way. Yeah, well, some people do. So but yeah, every, some people do. Everyone, mm-hmm. Some people, you know, pick the minutiae out. But I think that obviously they done sort of continuing threads and giving you little bits to pick up on, and that was fine. But if you didn't pick up on it, that's okay. We're going to get to it, but sort of confronted with that that way of watching TV in Doctor Who, I think it kind of put people off. I, I mean, it was sort of, it was kind of such a deep dive that people kind of rejected it in, in Doctor Who. And, uh, you know, I think that it, it is most successful in this part, but as Series 6 wears on and then you get into Series 7 
and Amy and Rory are still around and people were kind of now like, you know, I'm sick of these two and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Steven Moffat mysterious girls and, you know, one of one other one of his tropes. People were kind of just like, okay, can we just have an episode of Doctor Who where he arrives in a place, we have an adventure and he goes home and he, I haven't got to, you know, be watching for an epilogue or make notes or mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, but I think the first half of Series 6 is generally very successful and quite you know and pretty fun and enjoyable but then you know you have the break and you come back and it's let's kill hitler which i think is a fun episode mm-hmm. don't get me wrong but after let's kill hitler and the, the mysteries aren't all resolved there's more to, there's more going on and i think people are starting to now get tired of it yeah um um and i think that it's a problem that the second the back half of series six is nowhere near as good as the first half no, I mean, some of the episodes are actually, in and of themselves, good individual episodes. Mm-hmm. But um, as part of a whole, it's where you feel the show just beginning to... The car's been on the road very comfortably, and now it's just beginning to wave around. It hasn't gone off the road, mm-hmm. but it's beginning to, to wave around. I mean, I really didn't like... Well, I said I really didn't like... I was very disappointed by Let's Kill Hitler. And I do just think that... Because it was just such a fake-out... Yeah, because mm. because we, we knew the title long before we saw it, so we're like, "Wow, they're going there, are they?" And then it's mm. like, "Oh no, they're not going there." Yeah, and and and, and Hitler's almost comic. Yeah, we're just going to shove him into a cupboard, and then we'll yeah. just carry on with the whole River Song thing. Yeah, and I just thought that's in really bad taste. I thought, did it basically? You didn't need to put this in the Third Reich, and you did not need Hitler there for the no. story. You could. I mean, made it's just basically it's basically for the wham of the of the, the what title. they're calling it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which I just think is in, I which I understand, but I just think that's in bad taste. And if you really just want people to go, wow, um, huh? Wait, what? There's other ways to do it. Um, you know, there's other ways to. It. And to be fair, I don't think any showrunner would do that now. No, I don't I think, think so. Someone, I think even if they had the idea, I think someone would say, yeah, we can't do that. Or it's or in terms of like cost benefit analysis, the cost is more than the benefit. <laughs> Hmm. So yeah. let's have another idea, please. Yeah. But I mean, as well, one of the one of the other things that I think people rankle about Moffat is that I'm the showrunner and fuck you, I can do what I like, hmm. which is uh, maybe the first the first shot of it is here. You know, if I want to make yeah. an episode called Let's Kill Hitler and punch out Hitler and put him in a cupboard, then that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a general trope that I think people ascribe to him. I don't know how fair that is because I don't know the guy. Um, I, I always try and I always try and judge what I see rather than who I think a person is. Um, just bec- unless I know them, I don't I don't know him, and I didn't ever hear him say that explicitly. And I didn't see maybe as many of his tweets as you did, Emma. I didn't explicitly ever hear him say that. So I'm I'm making my judgment more on what I'm watching. So I yeah. I, def- I, I definitely agree that theme and around this time came up quite strong, particularly during his time on social media, but. Uh, like, did, like maybe there was part of that, but um, I, I try I mean, to I'm, I'm, stick to beat because I don't know. I don't have enough information to make that judgment. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, um, I'm I, I'm just sort of going on what it felt. I mean, I was, it's what it's certainly what it felt to me like at the time. Is what I'm saying. Just looking looking at that was the temperature looking, online, definitely. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. the temperature. I mean, that's sort of how it felt as well. Coming, I mean, because obviously, sort of the the gap was kind of a lot of chuntering about that, and then you come back to to this and then the continuation of series six i think is like i say it's not as successful um 
uh, I, I mean, things like closing time. Uh, yeah, I, I, again, I did enjoy closing time. I, I know a lot of people didn't. I know that didn't go over well. I think, I think people hated the culmination of it. Um, that was what. That was the Gareth Roberts thing. I understand. Yeah. He wrote the episode, and that culmination of the encounter Craig and the Cybermen, and the reasons for how it finishes. Yeah. He, he said, "Look, that was me. That I wanted to do that, and I make no apologies for that." I think it was just. And I, I, you know, that was more, uh, is that to your taste rather than it be necessarily a good or bad idea? It's mm. more is it to your taste as a viewer and what you want from stories. I think it's what he wanted from a story. Um, and I think, and it seems Moffat just gave him, I guess Moffat trusted Gareth Roberts enough. And Roberts had a solid track record. It wasn't his first Doctor Who story. Mm. But a solid track record of just being like, okay, you know, I, I trust, I'll go with you on this. Um so generally, I because I really liked most of the stuff happened before. I think whatever one may think of James Corden, I think he's actually a very talented actor. I think he's actually an underrated actor. I don't think he's good at all the other stuff he does, or not as good. But I think he's actually a very good actor, and he and Matt Smith worked together very well. Mm. I mean, I, I didn't really care. I mean, I didn't really care for. I think the ends a cop out. I mean, mm. I. I, I I think I'm for me that I'm I'm just not that big a fan of it. Yeah, it's it's not a case of anyone's right or wrong. It's more a case of does that fit your sensibilities? And if it doesn't, then yeah. If it doesn't mm. fit your sensibilities, you will hate that ending. Yeah, yeah. and like, I think as well because it was sort of because obviously it come after kind of a fairly disappointing second half. It was like really, yeah. this is what we're doing now. Power of love, is it? Okay, right. Let's just get to the end of this camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are we going to try? You know, and, if, and now we're into the end, and you've got, you know, what was it like an hour long episode? Was it? Um, got an hour to wrap this up, lads. Yeah. Because and it was like, how the fuck are we doing this? Because we got a lot of ground to cover, and it it mostly sort of fix. They mostly sort everything out. I mean, obviously, and they mm. cut it, but you can't. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Mostly. This um, ending, this episode, I didn't like. Yeah, I don't, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of it either, to be honest, and. Mm. Um, it, you, you can't resist with, you know, the ending Doctor Who, Doctor Who bit. And it's like, oh, for good grief, just bring <laughs> the curtain down on this already. <laughs> it wasn't even so much that. It was, you had like an hour and it was amazing that so much happened and yet nothing seemed to happen. Happened, yeah. yeah. yeah it's like we're paradox, paradoxical, which seems quite appropriate for Doctor Who, where like if you were to do a synopsis, it'd take you a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But nothing of any real consequence seemed to happen. At least leading on from what we've been coming up to. Yeah. I think that there had just had been so much hanging in the air mm-hmm. into this. And we almost had a brand new adventure yeah. of sorts with um with these characters. And it's just like no 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 new adventure. Resolve all the old adventures, mm-hmm. please. Um Yeah. I mean sometimes you think as much as uh, there's good and bad with writers' rooms, but sometimes I think what helps with the writers' room is you can help just Sometimes it helps to have people go, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. What about that thing? You didn't resolve that. You haven't resolved that. Sometimes it can help just to make them. It was incoherent. It felt really incoherent. Um, this One of the most incoherent episodes I think they were in. Mm. Yes. Um, so, um, so it can help. And that's one of the thing about, it's almost, you know, this is kind of a halfway house between an American style show with more episodes than we normally have in this country and a showrunner. But we don't have a right and different right. We don't have a writers' room. No, yeah, there is I mean, actually a writers' room. It feels like 
it feels like the exam for the pro- the past two series hmm. almost it's like you know have you revised properly you know here's your GCSE in series five and six of Doctor Who you know you turn your page over and begin well, and it's I like what I tell you it felt like it felt like the exam it felt like all the questions were for stuff you hadn't like you'd revise but then it felt a lot of new questions on there yeah, yeah, so yeah. this was part of the revision <laughs> yeah um so series six limps to a close and i think that the chuntering had sort of begun um Mm. as you know online there's always going to be moaning but i think that um there was dissension in the ranks um but mostly people were still like okay well it was quite good and then i think series seven the announcement that again it was being split it was being split over christmas and a new companion and a new companion, but I think that that was welcome news, as I knew that uh, me myself included, I'm going to hold my hands up. I was ready to wave goodbye to uh, Amy and Rory. Mm. Um, I, I wasn't, but I know I was in the minority. Um, I think, but I think it's the, how we felt um, with Clara, sort of down the line, that you know, okay, we've got to the end of series six now, and things are mostly done with them, right? I yeah. mean, what more is there to do with these two? You know, we've put them through every possible ringer. Mm-hmm. We've done, you know, you named your daughter after your own daughter and all this sort of thing and timey-wimey <laughs> and all that sort of fuckery. And then it's I, like, I, well, sorry, okay. It, there is yeah, one thing that I just realised that did, again, irri- not not horrible, but irritate me about some of the previous stuff. So if, if, a time, if a child is conceived in the time vortex, that person then has time lord powers? Well, I mean, because the idea even is even the that... doctor, even the doctor says you can't cook a time lord. So I thought, well, yeah. we'll get another reason for that, and we didn't. That, that no. really, really, that, that's like that. I think is that I think is just an objectively bad idea. Or if you're going to follow through on that idea, then fine. But then you have to follow through on that idea that how such a thing is. It's, it's like Rick. Rick from Starbase 66 always says in genre fiction, whatever. Look, you can have the most outlandish, fantastical shit you want make up whatever rules you want it's, it's you know it's just your imagination but then you have to be clear about those rules and you have to stick by them and you have to make it make sense and they never made that make sense um no. well i mean because you have the archon energy fanny don't you because there's yeah. that idea that archon energy is the sort of the mysterious time nonsense that makes time go or something yeah. um and that is the thing that makes it Happen? Question mark. And then I think they, because I always sort of read it as they sort of implied that Madame Kavorian had some sort of thing to do with it or something. I don't know. And, 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 and maybe you're right, but the point is something, and that is an important plot point because that was one. It of is, the and the fact that we're all going, uh, is one of the cliffhangers. <laughs> the cliffhanger at the end of the Impossible Astronaut is this child who sees yes. her, who all of a sudden regenerates herself, mm. which we later find out is River Sung. Yeah. That should not be. You cannot leave something like that down to headcanon. Hmm. Yeah, you're quite right. That yeah. Cannot, yeah, some things you can, some things you can leave to head cannon. Like you know, yes, lots of shit. The Doctor's wife, for example. So how sentient is the TARDIS? You can leave it down to head cannon. That's fine, um, as long as you, because you, you made enough sense with Saran Jones as the human embodiment of the TARDIS to mm-hmm. give us enough, but you didn't give us everything, and that's okay. You know, uh, stuff about the Doctor's past again. That's fine. You cannot a sp- specific narrative plot point like that. That's just bad writing. You cannot leave it down to head cannon. You explain what that means. And even if it has to be a Basil exposition scene with the Doctor type working away in the TARDIS and Amy and Rory looking kind of confused and River looking inscrutable and mysterious as she always did <laughs> and, and, and someone monologuing, 
then for two minutes. If that's what you need, then fine. Mm. And maybe this, there was a scene that was written in for what for Tyrion's or whatever they didn't put it in. Yeah, maybe, or he just forgot about it because he was writing Sherlock at the because same time. Because he was yeah. there. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> or he was just sort of like, you know, but you know, we'll just hand wave it and not worry about it. Um, so series seven comes around, and I mean, another kind of wishy-washy Christmas episode comes and goes, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, it was. I remember the the thing that stuck in my head about series seven coming in was like the first half's going to be a movie every week. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a movie every week. It's going to be uh, just a self-encapsulated episode, and it's just going to be a a banger from minute one to the end, and then you'll just be able to watch it and enjoy it and not have all the baggage. That just felt felt like a necessary thing to say, and it felt almost like a slightly sensitive artist. And artists tend to be sensitive people, generally. Mm -hmm. A sensitive Mm -hmm. artist reacting to criticism of, oh, it's it's too complicated. You've just been laying some of the complaints people had. It's like, oh, okay, fine. Standalone episodes every week. Happy now? Yeah, yeah. It, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Because, well, I mean, apart from Asylum of the Daleks, which kind of everyone knew that Jenna Coleman was coming in, as I recall, I, I and did. then, oh, I, people I did. that I, thought, I knew that, did. That, that was great. That was great for me. I mean, I loved the way they debuted. Um, who becomes yeah, no, that? But, uh, yeah, but I, I I knew that Jenna we, Coleman was going to be the companion. Yeah, we oh, didn't so, know she was going to be in Asylum of the Daleks. Oh, so when yeah. she turned sorry, up, sorry, sorry, I thought you that's... meant. No, I thought you. Oh, sorry, no, I thought you meant that you knew she was showing up in an episode. No, 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 no. no, no. no, no. no everyone was shocked. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no. You, sorry, and I right. thought that was really clever. And <laughs> I thought, okay, well, no, okay, so yeah, it's 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 pretty good. And I thought, well, you know, okay, so the man is back in town, right? So this is what he's good at. A good episode. He's got a little bit of intrigue in it, but it's not too complicated. You can just sit and you can watch it and enjoy it. And you haven't got to take, you know, write an essay about it afterwards. And I think that you understood it. I think as well that Sherlock was going to break at this point. Yes. Mm. Uh, So he's, you know, the man's energy is back on who. And I think it shows because I think, you know, the movie every week pretension aside, um, I think that the first half of Series 7 is generally good. I think the Power of 3 is really good. It's, a, it's excellent. It's, mm-hmm. And it, that yeah. holds up. That holds up so well. Um, yeah. I mean, that's part of one of the... Even though this why I said I wasn't done with Amy and Rory, I think at this point Rory is now fully ensconced as a companion. And yeah. mm-hmm. I think as people... It seems that Matt Smith, Karen Gillan, and Arthur Darvill really got on as people. And if you, this, I think Doctor Who Confidential, the behind the scenes show, was still airing at this point. And whenever mm-hmm. you would see them behind the scenes, mm-hmm. they looked to be having such fun around each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, like, in, like in sports, where some players just really enjoy playing together. Um, it's, it's not just we're trying to win for our team, but I really enjoy playing with you. Um, and that this, these three seem to really have so much fun. The power of three, in a weird way, seems a love letter to that trio of just yeah. Well, it is. You're right. Yeah, and that's they, exactly what it is. And they just bounce off each other, not just as people, but as characters, so well. So I would often, even if I wasn't always, you know, on board with the episodes, how um, they played around each other, I could always watch them, and that's always a yeah. good sign. Often, often like. Um, Brooklyn Night, in fact, Michael Shaw's the guy who wrote Brooklyn Night, created Brooklyn Night Night in the Good Place. He's very good at that. His sitcoms aren't laugh out loud funny, but he gets you, he really gets characters who work together well and he gets you to empathize with them and resonate with them so much that you watch them do anything. And once you watch them do anything, it makes episodes so much easier. And it takes yeah. pressure off. It takes pressure off the rights. I need something big to happen to keep people engaged. Where if you're just engaged with these people, you can kind of have them do anything because the, the villain in the power of free is garbage. 
Oh yeah, it's entirely yeah. inconsequential. The actual, I say, I think the problem with Power of the Three is it doesn't quite stick the landing. No. Um, but the first, the first, the, the preceding forty-two minutes are, are extremely entertaining and good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and dinosaurs generally, are dinosaurs in the spaceship is watchable mainly because of those three and Mark Williams, who was also very good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, but I'm, you know, I'm. I haven't. I've never grown out of the "I love dinosaurs" thing from childhood, <laughs> so I, I was all about dinosaurs on a spaceship, um, because any excuse for dinosaurs. Um, I think that it's entirely, entirely fitting that Amy and Rory get a Deus Ex Machina send off in um, Angels Take Manhattan. <laughs> um, it's entirely fitting that they get a nonsensical timey wimey. Um, go and live to death in Manhattan. Apparently, ending. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it did feel if you're going to use weeping angels that way, that felt more fitting. Like I, I like mm. to go back to series five. I like the the angels two part of flesh and stone, uh, time of angels flesh and stone. But the way they oh, were, God, yeah, they yeah. were, they were like coming up and snapping people's necks mm-hmm. and being brutal in how they kill people. Mm-hmm. Where the whole br- part of the brilliant conceit of them in Blink is that Tennant's doctor said that you know the. He says, yeah, I can't remember the specific word, not silent assassin, but like gentle assassin, something like that. Mm. Like they kill, they kill you in the most painless way possible. Mm. Um, so when they were became these brutal monsters in that series five two part, I was like, well, this isn't the weeping angels that Moffat gave us. Yeah. Um, and this is more like them in this um, where they would, yeah, they send you back and you live to death. I mean, that's that's their, that's their that's their brand. That's their thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's their brand. Yeah, I remember this did prompt an "oh fuck off" from the other end of the sofa when uh, the. Yes. Uh, <laughs> 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 that didn't bother me. That didn't bother me. It's like, well, why not? I mean, the only issue is, is that why would it move then and not have moved at any other point? Because in terms mm. of headcanon, it's like, well, the reason why it hasn't killed anyone is because someone's always looking at Statue of Liberty somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. I mean, I get the internal logic of it, but mm. when you've been together, when you've been with a person for a long time, you know when they're starting to become angry. Mm-hmm. And I could feel the, the <laughs> I could feel I could feel the, the rays coming. I could, could feel the rays and the heat coming from the other end of the sofa and I thought, I'll just go put the kettle on, shall I? And, uh, <laughs> Do you know what? I, mean, I, I, guess, I, I was yeah. the only person on the planet who just saw that and thought, oh, that's kind of cool. But yeah, yeah, everyone else seemed to be like be wanting to chuck their telly out the window. I think the only problem I had with the the Statue of Liberty Angel was it's they tipped the hand too soon on that one because it appears yeah. at the end of the pre-title sequences. It should have saved that for when it's confronting Amy and Rory just for like the what the fuck? Fuck yeah! I think so... it's because you always need on a when you're and this is I always find things are difficult for writers who write shows that pre-credit sequences mm. where you have to write you have to write two cliffhangers because you have to kind of end. Yeah. Your pre-credits. You have to write a scene that's linked to the episode, mm-hmm. but isn't the main part of the episode, and has to end on a cliffhanger. And I think that's where maybe Moffat was just like, "Oh shit! I mean, what cliffhanger have I got?" And it's like, "Well, if I'm going to use the Statue of Liberty thing, why not just do it now?" Mm. Yeah, quite so. Uh, so no, I mean, that's, I thought... that's just the format of the show. That's a problem with the format yeah. of the show. That's not, and that's just. I mean, unless they change the format of the show, that's not going to change. No. Mm. So the long and the short of it is the, the baggage with the the attendant baggage of Rory and Amy is is now gone, and they they sure make sure to to say you're never going to see him again because time lock and and stuff. Um, <laughs> so don't have to worry about them anymore, Rory and Amy haters, because a new dawn is coming uh, in the shape of um, the nadir of Stephen Moffat's mysterious girl fetish in. Clara Oswald. 
<laughs> and oh, but at dear. this time we didn't know that. But no. I mean, series seven, uh, the second half arrives, and I remember being very happy with the bells of St John mm. and the the. Mm. Episodes, I mean, I was less so. I liked it. I thought it was fun. I, th- I mean, I think I could I, do without the motorbike up the side of a building, bollocks. But I, um... I rewatched it. I rewatched it last night, and it is more fun than I imagined. But the bar was very low. I was very disappointed with this. It's not terrible. It's okay. Here's cause, here's part of the issues I had with it. It's the Moffat trope, one of his best tropes. He uses common aspects of life as a as a threat, <laughs> and in this Wi-Fi. Yeah, and it's 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 you know uh, malevolent Wi-Fi that pulls you in an online limbo. Mm-hmm. And I rewatched it, and I just realised, you know what? This is just a kind of a budget Black Mirror episode. This would be this would be a, a really good Black Mirror episode, and because mm. Black Mirror now has been on TV at this point, Black Mirror exists mm. at this point, and yeah. I and I think that was part of the um, inspiration uh, inspiration for it. Um, and I, the conceit, it's actually a good conceit when I rewatch it. It's a very good idea. The, the notion being that humans are almost prisoners to Wi-Fi. Hmm. But I think the thing is, when you look at a lot of Moffat's other, and why they didn't work in this and might work better in Black Mirror, because Black Mirror, we're used to it being a world, whatever the episode is, it's a world where technocracy is a thing. Mm-hmm. In Moffat's other episodes with... Uh, quotidian things is dangerous. They weren't technological. They were almost quaint mm. Stat- statues, shadows. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. You you look away from the silence and you just forget everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you almost get some kind of induced amnesia. And it just didn't. It was a good idea, but it felt like a good idea for a different show. It didn't feel. Yeah, like yeah I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the other thing with Bells of St. John, I remember at the time was obviously they had sort of set up this whole thing about Oswald or they were they were setting it up. Mm-hmm. And Bells gives you a load of more mysterious girl tropes. She's got her book and yes. the stuff about the, the leaf and stuff. And I remember there's this, the sinking feeling of it's happening again. And I'm, I remember when they moved on to the Rings of Akaten, which I want to talk about a little so, bit because people yeah, hate the Rings of Akaten. Before, yeah, before you get to, because this um, yeah. ties into your point with the Bells of St. John, in terms of the depiction of mysterious women and women in general, then I only yeah. noticed in the rewatch. Clara at one point is, dis- because the Doctor at this point is a monk in, I think, 12th century AD, somewhere yeah. in, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think Cumbria somewhere, somewhere in yeah. England. Somewhere like that, yeah. And, yeah. He's just trying to, and there's a picture of Clara next to him, and and the monks are like, the bells are ringing, the bells are ringing. So they go to the doctor to let him know, and when one's talking to the other one, says, "Yes, he's been here for like many years." Um, they say he and like, yeah, they say he's mad, and it's like, oh, yeah, they call him the mad monk, and it's like, well, one thing's sure he's not a monk, and they say, well, if he is mad, and then you refer to the picture, then then this woman is his madness, mm. and. When Clara phoned the bells of St. John, is obviously the ringing they're referring to is the phone in the TARDIS. Yeah. Uh, Clara, it's Clara ringing the doctor because he thinks the doctor's a, a um, tech support. Yeah. And one of the monks, because it's you know the 12th century, says it's an evil spirit. And the doctor goes, oh, it's a woman. And then the monk looks alarmed and crosses himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these were things that... that I noticed in the rewatch of the episode, mm-hmm. um, and 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 the book, yeah, the book that one of the kids that Clara's looking after is a book written by Amy, and he says, "What chapter?" And he goes, "Chapter ten, and she goes, 11's the best," um, which is, I'm sure is a very 
non-subtle reference to the 11th Doctor. Sorry, um, you weren't talking about the Rings of Akaten. So, essentially, I mean, I, I don't really understand why people hate it so much. I think, you know, it's an average episode, but people hated this at the time. <laughs> but what's significant about it is that they'd set up a load of mysterious girl bumps. Um, and I was, you know, it was sort of the, oh God, this is happening again sort of thing. But what the first thing they do is get rid of that leaf. And I thought, good, because I thought that that is going to be some, some thread that's going to go on and on and on and get forgotten about. And they get rid of it in the second episode where you have Clara properly. Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, well maybe it's, it's not going to be so bad. Um, not realizing, (laughs) (laughs) um, just where we were going to end up, um, (laughs) Uh, with uh, with this so that's why i wanted to sort of talk about rings because um that sort of that moment sticks out in my mind mm-hmm. i think that um the doctor's disquiet about who she is and you know it's one of those things of you know that old films that could be over in five minutes if mobile phones have been invented mm. um yeah. you know yeah. like home alone is that is the best example of this mm-hmm. um this could this entire problem could have been solved if the doctor had just talked to her not like, like not an idiot. Mm. Yeah. Um, throughout, yeah, throughout this entire half series, and it's yeah, the, the, like never has Matt Smith been as unlikable as he was in this half series, because his his overall demeanor towards Clara, particularly when Clara's not around, normally when the doctor goes, travel, travels with someone or lets someone travel with him. It's because he wants them to. He enjoys mm-hmm. being around, he enjoys their company. And you didn't feel that was the case. You felt, he, again, I mean, you already mentioned the mysterious thing, girl thing, but there was a weird obsessive, like obsessiveness uh, and compulsion behind. It's almost like, I'm having you here because I need you here. Um, yeah, like, I want to like someone, you out. Almost like a, someone going hunting. Um, it was there was almost I mean, low-key predatory nature about it, mm. which, which made it very uncomfortable. And I wrote, it's only because I, I, I didn't, it, it didn't really ring loud to me at the time, but the more you think about it, the more you're like, and the more you hear people mention this stuff, you're like, oh yeah, that is true. That's, that's why this series hasn't been, because I really didn't like this half series at all. And it's like, oh, that's why it hasn't been, because I, I couldn't put my finger on what was wrong. Mm. It's like, this is, yeah. this is what's ringing false. This is what, this is what I'm not liking about it, because that was a constant thread that went throughout that entire half series and it precisely yeah it hamstrung matt smith it hamstrung jenna coleman um i didn't know if jenna coleman was any good because she was never given a chance to be at this point and matt's i mean had could you imagine if this was matt smith's first series as the doctor oh Oh, what a nightmare this would have been i mean because you're quite right i mean looking at the series as the second half of the series as a whole episodes which i really actually liked and liked at the time and i think are still good things like hide Mm -hmm. The entire premise of Hyde is brought about because the Doctor goes to see a psychic about Clara. Let that sink in for a minute. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It's yeah, it's sunk in. Um, but no, no. Um, yeah, you, <laughs> no, you're right. In terms of, I mean, these aren't. I mean, they're having adventures, but they're not having adventures and let's go see stuff. Because the Doctor does the whole, I you know, rewatching the Bible Saint uh, John, the whole thing about yeah, want to go travel, see the world. You know, like Clara has a book because she's hasn't she hasn't gone traveling like she wanted to because she's mm. you know nannying these two kids um who, who i mean i don't but i just realized as well watching it is that because you see their dad in the very first episode yeah and the dad is the dad is he's actually one of the he's um oh what character was he he was michael in desmond's um yeah the one yeah. that watched desmond's will recognize him but he's quite dark-skinned and the kids are not um <laughs> so it's i'm guessing them i'm guessing the mother must have been white um even though that's never 
it's never mentioned one way or another but she's looking after these kids but she has a book saying 101 places to see i think so the doctor uses that as a well maybe let's we can go see this stuff and i can always have you back we need to be back um which is a very common doctor thing but then you realize mm. oh he doesn't want to take her to, to see the guy the universe he almost wants to take her to a fucking examiner and inspect her it's through mm. he's using he's using false pretenses mm. which is i'm not saying it's beyond the doctor to do this but it's not very heroic and if you think the doctor would do that he'd have there'd be a good reason beyond who is this person almost like this person might be a threat i might need to stop yeah. more than but, but Clara is, is never ever presented as an antagonist, and she isn't. Like she's she's totally innocent in this way. Yeah. So to, I'll say it's a horrible, horrible dynamic. Yeah, it's a, it's a nasty dynamic, and it's sort of one that never gets sorted out with Clara ever. Really, it's yeah. it's kind of this anchor on her character, sort of constantly, because sort of skipping ahead a bit. I mean, again, sort of part of the reason why I think Moffat. The, the I think the feeling I had towards Moffat was his this thing that uh, the impression that I had of his like I'm the showrunner I can do what I want mm-hmm. was that him hucking and it, oh, uh, basically you know loading up a mini nuke and firing it straight into the Doctor Who fandom <laughs> by putting a new Doctor in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean because at the time people were gobsmacked into silence to begin with and then just. I don't even, you know, uh, they, oh, look, my my uh, my better brain half is here, so I can ask him. <laughs> Love, do you remember, um, you know, remember when they introduced John Hurt as the Doctor? I think that the reaction was sort of, what the fuck is he doing, wasn't it? As I remember, Moffat, um, because it was like, how dare he put another Doctor in our precious continuity? No? <laughs> no, but I thought that you know most people were sort of like, "Oh my God, what has he done?" Sort that's of that's thing. what that's what that's what I remember. That's how I remember it. Mm. And I remember, and I maybe wasn't as outraged, but I was kind of like, eh? I, I was more rolling my eyes, mm. like this is what you're doing, like because this is now leading into the 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. This all the way is part of the way is why I think this episode, this half series with Clarissa weak. I think a lot of his it's just like trying to fill time in. I think a lot of Moffat's bandwidth was going towards the 50th episode, 50th mm-hmm. anniversary episode. Um, and knowing what happened in the 50th anniversary, I get why he used John Hurt in this way. Because yeah. we know this was never meant to be John Hurt. No. This was this was an audible being called, a big audible being called. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Christopher Eccleston says, like, no, nah, I'm not interested. Yeah. Thanks, but no thanks, Stephen. <laughs> I have no interest in, doing, in coming back. Mm-hmm. But this, uh, this would have been Eccleston. Yeah. And you can sort of, like, see... Like, a lot of people say, well, you know, if it wasn't excellent, why didn't you just get Paul McGann to do it? But the thing with Paul McGann's Doctor is that although he didn't get, he only had the TV movie, he always seemed a bit too, sort of, like, cuddly to be well, fighting in this well, not, massive... Well, not even that, he just doesn't fit the continuity of the Time War. Mm, exactly. He doesn't fit He doesn't fit the Time War continuity, that's that's why. Mm. Even though I am, I mean, I am glad that he got to do something. Oh yeah, I mean, the and, I, and I and I said and I said on the last episode that I would love to see, even though they couldn't afford it, I would love to see Kerry Mulligan come back for like a one-off Christmas, you know, come back travel with the Doctor, one more adventure Christmas episode. Hmm. If you're going to do multiple Doctors, we're still at the time where we can bring back Paul again. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure you can afford him. Mm-hmm. Can we bring back? Can can we let Paul McGann have a full episode, please? Yeah, and it's Christmas, Christmas, do it over Christmas. That's fine then. Yeah. 
Paul McGann, Jodie Whittaker. But can we bring back Paul McGann, please? Yeah, just he like he 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 can do it, and he I do think he kind of deserves, particularly because he showed in the mini episode that you know the prologue mm-hmm. to the Day of the Doctor. Yeah, he showed he can still do it. Yeah, he's so, definitely got a hell of a range. So let him be the Doctor one more time. Yeah, even and if give him give yeah. him a proper send off. Yeah, even if it's just sort of like at the end of like the crossover, he says, "All oh, right, okay, got a dash." There's this uh, distress call I have to answer, and it sort of leads into Night of the Doctor, and he's just like like close on Jodie Whittaker, just going, "Oh shit," you know. Like, yeah, it's so easy. To, it's so easy to write. I mean, do mm-hmm. whatever adventure you're gonna do, do that. Yeah, just have them pal around. Even doesn't even have to be like particularly serious. Yeah, not in a confrontation. Not sometimes you get two doctors together and they're arguing the whole time. Not even mm-hmm. that. In yeah. in a very in a much more friendly way. Um, and you know they save Christmas. They say Christmas is going to come to an end, and we need the power of two Tardises to do it. Yeah. Um, if I, if we can rewind back to the name of the Doctor, um, this is kind of where I had the biggest problem with Clara in the whole "I was mm. born to save the Doctor" thing. Yeah. Um, and I saw a lot of complaints about that online. Yeah. Um, I know, like, Mary Sue gets, like, thrown around as a term quite a bit. And I'm not sure that it entirely applies to Clara in this situation, but that whole thing is just sort of like, uh, you know, it's sort of like, I don't mind the fact that she's got these facets of herself fra- fragmented throughout the Doctor's time, but it's the fact that, you know, she's the only one who can put the Doctor on the right course. And I even have this problem when we get to listen is not so much that we go back into the Doctor's past, it's the fact that she has, like, it comes back up. It's like, we, like once you get, like, past Day of the Doctor and all that, you sort of think, all right, okay, so the whole Born to Save the Doctor thing's sort of done and out of the way with. You can sort of, like, put it behind you. Um, but then it's like, she's like, at the end of listening, she's like stroking, like, the young Doctor's hair while he's laying in bed and saying, oh, you know, it's sort of like, I don't mind companions having an influence on the Doctor, but... I think when that happens with the Clara, it's just like it's a bit too much. Do you mm. know what I mean? Is is because I heard this quite a lot, and um, so are we moving on to listen now? Uh, I think we should just. You know, I think to be honest, we because obviously this is coming into the point where um, we were starting. Obviously, the podcast started for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, and you know, all important. Got to conversation really started when me and Mike started the podcast. Obviously, of course, um, <clears throat> of course yeah, yeah. So I mean, we, we there was no Dot Two conversation before then. No, I mean, no, no, no. say we, we we regard our, our words as fairly definitive. So I mean, if you want to get our opinions, you should go back and listen to those. I mean, podcasts. Um, <laughs> what, what were they? We invented them clearly. Clearly, yeah. yeah. So, but I think that I mean, obviously, in just Richard just a mind us. of the. <laughs> She is, um, but uh, just the mind of the length of the podcast as well. Mm. Um, but I think that we can probably just go over to the kind of the whole Clara area. I mean, we've we've all talked at length about the problems with the Clara era, mm-hmm. and really the whole premise of um, the mysterious girl stuff, then her being born to save the Doctor, and mm-hmm. then all that baggage that came with it. She never recovered from that, and I yeah. think yeah. that if if they, I mean, we talked about this as well when we talked about uh, Capaldi's era. The kindest thing to do would have been to let her go at the end of Series 8 yeah. and start fresh on Series 9. And they chose not to do that for a bazillion different reasons. Um, but some, a, a thing that I think it is probably a result of is that 
you know, once again, Moffat is juggling a million balls and, you know, obviously now having to recast the companion goes to the top of his list until Coleman says, I want to come back and do another one. Mm. You know, great. I haven't got to worry about casting another companion. Super. I'll just stick Clara in series nine. And I think that there is... There's certainly good episodes. I don't want to take away from Series 8 and Series 9. I think there's good episodes in all of those and enjoyable mm-hmm. ones with Clara and the Doctor. We're talking, we're talking Capaldi as a Doctor now. Capaldi yeah. as a Doctor now, yeah, because it's obviously, you know, the 50th has come and gone. I think Moffat handled the 50th very well. I thought it was actually um, outstanding. I think it's one of his yeah. best episodes. Ever yeah, I mean, and, but all the uh, t- t- attendant hoopla about the 50th, episode, 50th anniversary. So you had all the, there was conventions and adventure in space and time. Yeah. There was all that stuff, all that hoopla that came with it. It was all handled very well. And I thought that um, moving on again, you know, once again, he's, he's tasked with finding a new doctor. And I think Capaldi was a stroke of genius. It's probably the best thing he's ever, he ever did mm-hmm. was cast Peter Capaldi. Um, but I think that again spinning a million plates and i think that the you know when you get to the end of series seven i think that there was the the fan swell i mean these things don't matter but eventually that fan swell does become a tsunami and um the 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 moaning was becoming louder i think and then going into series eight i think that capaldi was a bit of a sticking plaster because people really hated Clara and that hatred only I think it got to the point of hate especially again to end of series eight all the Danny Pink stuff Mm. I don't think he's very successful at all I think it's yet another load of baggage on Clara and you know I wish that they had said you know what Jenna it's been great but this is sort of the end for you um we'll go and cast someone else for series nine the key thing is with tv and movie fandom is that once you begin to lose the fans they are very difficult to get back yeah and mm-hmm. the fans because of how poorly clara was written in the second half of series seven with the whole impossible girl thing they lost they lost fans they lost a lot of fans and it became very it came near impossible to get a lot of those fans back no matter what clara did um, yeah, I mean, it, really, I mean, if you look at, I'm trying to think of something equivalent. I mean, Star Trek kind of went through that to a certain extent. It had to go away and come back sort of entirely different. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about the X-Files coming back recently, I remember Series 8 was pretty terrible. Series 9 is worse. I want to believe is an absolute two hours of dog shit. And then it had to die for 10 years mm-hmm. before it could come back. And anyone... not, we, we don't even mean it yeah. as in terms of existing. We mean in terms yeah. of general feeling towards it. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that it had to, for those series to sort of get people back, it had to go away. But but the point is the X-Files yeah, hasn't no. got everyone back. The X-Files isn't a big deal anymore. It exists, but it's not it's not prominent. Not the way it used to be. The X-Files it used to be to massive. It's to me, Shane, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> but I've, but I've, and to the same way that like I didn't write Clara off after uh, 7, but... No, I, I wrote her off after Series 8. Yeah, but, but broadly speaking, yeah. they lost a lot of people and... It doesn't mean you lose everyone, but you lose more than you need, you load, more than you can afford. The same way that the X Files actually a regular example. I mean, the Transformers movies have done that. They don't yeah. want to exist. The Transformers movies have, have lost a lot of their relevance. And the thing is, this affected the show broadly. I think it affected the general uh, relevance of the program. It, it always felt like it was walk, like running into the wind a little bit. Um, yeah. Like even I mean, and in terms of listen. Which I liked. 
Um, and because Moffat's first, sorry, Capaldi's first three episodes, I did not like. And then this finally, or thought finally a good episode. I wonder if there'd been as much negative reaction towards Clara if that hadn't been Clara and had been a different, more liked companion. Oh, yeah, I think that that's, that is the, the whole problem, I think. And Clara is the ultimate Moffat, mysterious girl trope mm-hmm. come coming to, to full full bloom. And, and also, I'm going to rewatch Listen. I think, I think it's part of the issue with Capaldi's first series is yeah. that Capaldi doesn't yet know how to act for Moffat's writing and Moffat does not know how to write for Capaldi yet. So in his first few episodes, he comes off, and I think you lot said this in the show, as a cross between, like, written like Sherlock, his Sherlock, and acted like a, you know, less profane Malcolm Tucker. It's <laughs> thick of a character. That's yeah. what he comes off as. And his hair's too short, and it's only mm. when we get the, the, the series after that his hair's a bit longer and his clothes are a little bit more lived in that he feels... Like the act, the performances, the quality of acting wasn't bad, but he didn't feel like the Doctor, which was goes back to what I said before. They don't initially. After the after series nine, Capaldi feels like the Doctor. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know, and it's unfortunate that he's really only got then another series, and yeah. then he's he's out. I mean, and series, two series really, and done. Well, three, done. but two yeah. proper ones, and then he was out of there. Yeah, I mean. Um, as much as I sort of praise that, you know, um, Pearl Mackey is awesome. I mm. mean, Moffat did his best to put some mysterious bullshit into Bill's past um, with her mum. And I thought, well, I thought, please don't do it again. Well, the, the, doc, the doctor taking the photo. We never found out what happened with that. Yeah. No, I mean, as well, that thing at the end of Pyramid. Um, at the end of the oh, world. The, appearance of the world and stuff where they're sort of. They're, the monks are brain sucking Bill, and mm. like all the images of her mum come up, and that sort of thing. I was like, "Oh, please, don't do this again." <laughs> I mean, can another... she just be a person who knocks around with the Doctor? I mean, I, I mean, as much as I, you know, dunk on people who are like, "I don't want no emotions in Doctor Who. They shouldn't have a family. They shouldn't do things like that." When you know you've just had a big, a big gut full of Clara. <laughs> and Bill is like this great companion who is, you know, you've had like seven episodes previous of her just being a companion and it's been ever so refreshing and fun. Mm. And then it's like Moffat's like here to just, oh, no, here's million, 10 million tons of bullshit to deal with as well. Mm. Well, it's, well, it's just like you can you don't have to write. You can write a character without writing them as mysterious. Yeah, or or just or just hidden see, see secrets. Stephen Moffat. Yeah, just just see, hidden see secrets. You just hidden yeah. secrets. They don't always have hidden secrets, and they yeah. can. And that's one thing RTD did get right. Yeah, with most of them, they were people with families, but and people that had specific personality traits. But but no, there was nothing like weirdly, oddly mysterious about Martha or about Rose or about Donna. Mm. Um, that, that's one thing that yeah, uh, Davis did get right. I mean, a general. So without going to specific episodes, just a general theme, flavour I, I got from Moffat Wright in Capaldi. And this is why I don't know if this was the best. I think, like, the Davis-Tennant partnership and the Moffat-Smith partnership were two were just a really great combination of writer and actor. I don't know how good the Moffat-Capaldi combination was. They're good enough to be more than competent, but if it was just a natural fit... And when I looked at how Moffat wrote Smith and then how we wrote Capaldi, and the, not just the characters, but the episodes, um, there is a more, under Capaldi, introspective, almost existential approach, particularly with episodes like Listen and like Heaven Sent, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and even the two-part uh, Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar, when the conversation with Davros, and they have a quite a serious and like austere tenor to them. It's almost a time almost ir- interrogating just the very point of the Doctor mm-hmm. and the very purpose of the Doctor. And the original tropes that the show had established, you know, back in the 60s and 70s uh, and 80s. This didn't happen with Matt Smith. No. Like, Matt Smith was a lot, there was a lot more, he was a lot more breezy. I've, I mean, Smith almost played the Doctor as he enjoyed, not, I don't, I don't mean the actor, mm. but I mean, Smith played the Doctor as, as if he really enjoyed yeah. being the Doctor. And yeah. the, in fact, Smith comes off at times like a child who has to act like an adult at certain <laughs> moments in, like, a good man goes to war. Um, I'm trying to think of other, other scenarios, or even, like, the end of The Rebel Flesh, where he has to actually get serious. Mm. But mm. if he could act like a child all the time, he would. Yeah. Like he talks about how great bunk beds are. Capaldi does never come off like a child. He comes off like a very intense, introspective, at times navel gazing. Well, so of, I think his his first series is like that. Mm-hmm. His first series, he, he lightened up a bit more. He he lined up a bit more when he had Bill in particular, but um, he doesn't often seem to be having a lot of fun. Capaldi's Doctor. No. You're Smith, quite right there. Smith's doctor looked like he was having fun. And I think that was how Moffat likes to write the doctor. I think he always seemed to be in thrall to the idea, like he had with Sherlock and um what's in his version of Sherlock, of people guys going around having adventures. Almost like a Peter Pan type vibe to him. Mm. Yeah. So I think Moffat has got, got this idea that the doctor's been having fun for far too long and must be punished. Yeah, I was just about to bring that up. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's certainly, it might. you certainly sort of get to it once he gets to Good Man Goes to War. Uh, once he gets to that point, it's very much starts to like tear the doctor down. Because, yeah. you know, I, as you know, the 11th even says, I think it was in Wedding of River Song, he says, I'm getting too big. And, you know, and you end up like, when trying to do things like Asylum of the Darks, where they end up like wiping the Dalek database over him. And then, it's, then you sort of think, well, okay, but hang on. <laughs> I, again, I didn't mind that, but the follow through on that. There was that, sorry, this is other stuff. Like next time we see the Daleks, it's as it was before. Yeah. Um, this, yeah. this is a sorry because now I, I meant to mention it, but I went to wait till we get to this point. At the um, end of the Witches Familiar, this is the adventure with the Master, the Michelle Gomez's Master and mm-hmm. Clara. And at the end, the Master gets trapped by the Daleks. It's surrounded by Daleks. Mm. Looks like she's about to get shut to death and then gets a mischievous look and goes, I just had a hell of an idea. And then you cut away and it's like, oh, okay, well, she'll come back, which she did. Mm-hmm. And that will, will find out what the idea was. Probably involves the Daleks somehow. And maybe she teams up. And then that just ne- next time we see her, she's being sentenced to death. <laughs> no mention of Daleks. It's like, well, what the fuck was the idea? <laughs> I, I, I think the, and idea... the thing is, these are these are good story ideas. It's not so frustrating. It's not like you're leaving good ideas on the table. I, th- the, I think the inference was that it was when I mean in the start of which is familiar when she's telling Clara about how the Doctor escapes from this dangerous situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the implication that she's going to repeat that, like she's going to pull that stunt again. But to be honest, that doesn't bother me because. That's kind of the way it's always been done with the master. Yeah, the master is always uh, does this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right, and I've never liked it. Just, just no, it it's does, true. It, it's words, two line explanation. Where, how the fuck does John Sim arrive where he arrives at the end of the last series? John Sim's master. How does he escape out the time war? And even if he says, "I don't know how I escaped," like you know, I went through this vortex and woke up, and I was here. 
you know, the other uh, in this weird kind of Cybermen hospital, hmm. then then fine, then fine. Again, you don't leave this shit down to headcanon. It's bad. That is bad writing. Yeah, there, you there know, is, I, I, yeah. I'm someone. I'm just someone with stories. I don't mind what you do with the story. It just has to make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like yeah. in, in Hellbent, when um, the Clara asks the Doctor, like, how does how did Gallifrey get back into the universe? The Doctor says, I don't know. I never asked them. You know, it's uh, this. There seem to be these points. Sort of, you kind of get the feeling that Moffat just kind of wants to like step away. Doesn't get, almost doesn't yeah. want to, or doesn't want to sweat the small stuff and just get with the yeah. adventure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I sort of, I sort of felt as if Moffat truly ran out of giving a shit, and mm-hmm. it's sort of, oh yeah, I mean, it's that... sort of series ten because obviously the end's in sight, and you know, he's just the thing of like, just start, <clears throat> you know, it's, uh, it's minute and a half to go in the fourth quarter, and uh, let's it's just got, start garbage chucking time. bombs. It's, it's, it's garbage, garbage time. time. Mm-hmm. It's garbage time. It's time to just start. Chucking the ball up and uh, you know seeing what happens. So I mean, um, I mean, lest we forget that um, he only did series ten because Chibnall wasn't ready to step up. And I, I, yeah. actually, was it was it even that, or was the didn't even have anybody? It was, I think it was the Christmas episode. It was Christmas. I think. Yeah, it was, Christmas. yeah, it was Christmas time because was, yeah, yeah, because um, the BBC said, well, if you don't do a Christmas episode, we probably won't do another Doctor Who Christmas episode again. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh fuck, oh, I yes, guess I'm so. better doing a Christmas episode. Yeah. So in that, I actually will defend Moffat for stepping up. Yeah, I will. Yes, <laughs> I mean, didn't want to do. I mean, well, I mean, really, just talking a bit. Uh, mentioned right at the back of the top of the show, JNT. That was a situation he was in. Yeah. That if he left, there was no guarantee they would ever make Doctor Who again. They were trying to kill it off, and losing the showrunner is perfect. You don't, have, you know, put it, give it a dirt nap. It's done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why he stayed around as long as he did. Um, that's, a, that's a potential benefit when you have even, even if not an official writers' room, just a group, a team. So in, yeah. in those emergency situations, you can pull someone off the bench. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Also, you're it, actively because Moffat might be busy, but just like you call Toby Warehouse, hey Toby. Well, You've wanted to write Christmas episodes, episode forever. What you got? Yeah, exactly. Like, who says Moffat has to write it? He doesn't have to write it. I mean, that's the thing. He was writing a lot of these episodes, and yeah. he was, he was. Um, it was. It. I think that you know. Let's uh, let's start looking back. Sort of looking back as a whole. I think the moment that things changed for Moffat is probably the mid-season six break. Mm. And looking at looking about the amount of time that he's looked after Doctor Who, to say it happened that early is kind of ludicrous. But thinking back on our conversation, I feel like that's when people started sort of going, eh. Sherlock, Sherlock, yeah, yep, Sherlock. And Sherlock. I'm sure that all the Sherlock podcasts are saying, I mean, because the last series of Sherlock was not as well received as the previous ones. To be fair, so only, sure... only, only the first two have been received well. Yeah, three so of, I'm sure or of not. all the Sherlock podcasts, I'm sure, are saying the exact same thing about Doctor Who. He had to go and do Doctor Who and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, so, and they're probably right. Yeah, and they're probably mm-hmm. right. So having to juggle all these balls and I think sort of feeling himself a bit too much about I can do a big old story arc and people will go with it. Mm-hmm. Sort of not really judging the mood of the room, maybe, and seeing that that sort of style of TV didn't really go with the way the people want us want who to be or something like that. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to say who has to be the same all the time forever. Mm-hmm. It needs new ideas to keep going. But the way that Moffat was like, you know, 
this style of writing is going to fit this show and I can make it work. And then taking his eye off the ball a bit with, um, with having to deal with Sherlock and then um, companions sticking around for too long again, maybe because he hasn't got time to recast them and the, all this sort of stuff going on. Mm. Um, so I think for all the individual successes of the episodes individually, I think there is a case to say Moffat's who as an overarching story maybe doesn't hang together as well as I think maybe he thinks it does. Mm. I think um, I don't actually disagree with a lot of what you said, but just to advocate for the devil a bit, you just have to remember as well, this is his dream job. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he backed out of writing for a Steven Spielberg movie to do this job. And you only get to do this job once. Mm-hmm. So in terms of going at times, maybe going for too much or going fully with his gut, probably because he said, well, I'm not going to get to do this again. So let me, if I'm going to fail, let me fail my way. Let me mm. fail doing what I want to do. Because I'll regret it if I don't. If I try and dial back on certain things or listen to criticisms more and follow what people are saying because also the criticisms are never always the same so you get into different types you know some people say it's you know too too much too much arc some people say oh i don't like standalone episodes i want it to all make sense that's where tv's going these days mm-hmm. so i think it's just more let me do what i want to do because then i won't have regrets that i at least at least i tried I wouldn't have regrets for not doing the thing I, you know, I want to do, as it were. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm guessing. I don't, I don't know. I didn't know. know I the think guy. that's fair. I think you can apply that to, you know, going back to our sports analogy, that you want to leave it all on the field, right? You don't want to be going, what if, what if, what if? You have to go and do what every everything you possibly can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, in terms of, I did make notes in terms of just general stuff. Definitely in terms of his difference to RTD. Um is that RTD wants to be the companion, as we all know. Yeah. Moffat, always, Moffat was pretty much a record of saying he wanted to be the Doctor. Yeah. He didn't say that explicitly, but he said it in so many words, which I think was a big difference in terms of the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, he, The budget was bigger. Yeah. At times, the running length of episodes was bigger. Yeah. Um, the 50th episode almost completely rolled back everything RTD did. <laughs> uh, it, really loved the episode it mm-hmm. did basically rock at the time where, and i think you were in that first you were actually at the q and a what you remember when he explained why yeah um well he just said i couldn't but i just don't believe the doctor would do that I, I think he does see the doctor ultimately as as a hero mm-hmm. um even if he's going to punish doctor at times the person who always will do the right thing would never would never do anything to compromise um compromise his virtue so to speak mm-hmm. he did give us two of the best monsters in recent history, in the Angels, Weeping Angels in the Silence. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bigger use of the Lethbridge Stewarts consistently. So he definitely, I think, not that Davis didn't, but he seemed to really um, lean on the legacy and history of the show, uh, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without, without, you know, making it in the forefront, but he would offer, particularly the unit era, like he brought unit back. Um, yeah. <laughs> one thing I noticed, quite a few producers under his tenure, mm-hmm. where... He was in charge. He had Phil Collinson and Julie Gardner, and Collinson left, but that's only because he had Coronation Street, which for him was a dream job. Mm-hmm. And I think Julie Gardner went over him till the end. I yeah, think yeah. Jane Trent. I think Trent yeah. helped to replace Collinson. I looked at the list of producers after then. The first guy Moffat produced was Piers, uh, Piers Wenger, who was there for a year, mm-hmm. and Beth Wood. They were both there for a year, mm-hmm. and Caroline took and She was there for two years, and then Brian Minchin came over, and I think he was there till the end. Mm-hmm. 
But in the first, his first four years, he has three different producers. I mean, That's I remember a... I, that that brings back memories, actually. Of, I remember at the time there was rumours of falling outs and all that yeah. sort of thing. Mm. I don't I don't know why. I mean, because, again, this is where you can um, use this to kind of fit a preconceived opinion mm. of, of him. I don't know why. I do know that's a lot of producers. I don't know if it's mixed. Whose fault was it? A, a combination of factors. Someone's fault. People getting offered really good jobs. I just know that's a lot of turnover. Mm. Show like that for an important position. I mean, I know whoever remembers who produced anything, but they're very important. Those mm. people are very important. Um, and the biggest thing I think he's done more than anything else in terms of his legacy is he's expanded the show. He's basically like one of those tech people in Silicon Valley who were like, or something like Netflix. Like Netflix doesn't make a profit. Netflix mm. makes Netflix makes a loss of more money than us three would ever make combined. Mm-hmm. But the point for them isn't profit, it's growth. Amazon, for years, Jeff Bezos made a loss on Amazon for years. The point was growing the business to where it became so ubiquitous, it then will just you know be a walking cash machine. That's the point of Netflix. It's it's just growth right now to satisfy yeah, the shareholders. And look at he, Jeff now, he can hollow out a volcano and live in it like a fucking Bond villain. He's <laughs> <laughs> the richest guy in the world. He is the, he is the richest guy in the world now. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, he looks like a Bond villain these days. He does. <laughs> I, read a th- I read a thing, just sidebar, I read a thing, apparently he's into this uh, sort of uh, rejuvenation thing of implying yourself with blood of young people. Oh dear God. True, apparently. So, you know, watch yourself around him. <laughs> Elon, Musk, Elon Musk are the Cybermen and dialects of real-world Cybermen to the universe. Um, but Moffat has grown this show. This mm-hmm. is to more than ever before is a global program. Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned the 50th. I, I'm pretty sure that was simulcast globally. Yes, it was. Yeah. shows are simulcast, even now? Not globally. Not many. Not many. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only Many. things that are, the only things I remember getting simulcast recently are like the finale. Last finale was the, the Westworld finale was as well because I remember it was on at, at two o'clock in the morning or something over here. So yeah, cast as well. But hmm. but yeah, we're taking a handful of programs. So and a lot, quite a few episodes where I remember what a big deal it was when they did the fires of Pompeii under Davis and Tennant and Catherine Tate and they shot it in Spain. It was like, oh, look, Doctor Who goes, almost like a holiday, we'll go, Doctor Who goes to Spain. <laughs> and they made a big deal. And now almost every series, I mean, I don't know how it'll be in the Chibnall, but almost every series, at least one episode is shot elsewhere. Yeah. They in South, they've been to South Africa, we yeah, know, they, so. They shoot South Africa. Hmm? Or are you looking on the Chibnall, sorry, or I'm off Chib- Yeah, the new, Chib- the new series oh, they've been right. spotted in right. South Africa, yeah. Oh, cool. What you meant? I thought you meant the Moffat. I didn't even know. That. Yeah, but Moffat, like, yeah, they shot in America multiple times. They shot um, the Utah. Vampires of Venice. Yeah, yeah. Utah Vampires of Venice shot in Croatia. So it, they, they it's clearly as a conscious effort. And even though, I mean, I'm sure Dot Two Confidential was cancelled against Moffat's will and against the will of me as well, for that matter. Um, well, same, yeah. But in terms of, I mean, even like they do the the after show now on YouTube. They're, tr- they're almost trying to build a universe, which is very much in the realm of what happens these days. With Mar- I mean, DC are trying it. Marvel have succeeded with it. Star Wars have succeeded with it. Mm-hmm. You know, are you like a world of, of it's, it's a brand. So it's not just the program. It's not just the 45 minutes to an hour each week. It's about the behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. It's about the website. 
it's about other things they're doing interviews here i mean i remember they did a this was when um might have been uh rory and amy after double karen gillen's final season but they were doing their america thing and they went they did a thing with nerdist where they played like four of the nerdist people played <laughs> yes. played bit, gillen smith and darvel at bowling yeah oh yeah all-star celebrity bowling yeah that was great <laughs> The whole yeah. point. The whole point was just as a promotion for the show. Now that's mm-hmm. like you think of that in terms of again finding time and the strain that Moffat is under. Which even if you like it or don't like, it, you have to understand the work and the position he's in. Mm-hmm. And he chose to do this, but for good reason, for the benefit of the show. Because that's like okay, so we're doing a thing with Nerdist. We're running out of bowling alley. We're probably going to be here for three or four hours. Mm-hmm. That's most. That's like a third of the day. So that's a third of the day. You're not writing. You're not yeah. doing anything. I think that's they... a third of the day. Yeah, I think they did that around about SDCC, so... Yeah, it was, they were out there for Comic-Con. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you, you're right. I mean, as well, looking, moving on past them, I mean, packing Capaldi and Jenner off to bloody South Korea and Australia and all that That's, sort of mm-hmm. thing as well when he was cast. And and her companions, that they, there will be a tour of some kind. Yep, absolutely they will. That's Moffat who's established that precedent, that the show is global, and as such, you have to... And to be fair, that's what, that's what Marvel do. You know, when I mean, I'm sure, you know, Chris Evans and RDJ and Scarlett Johansson and Chris Hemsworth, they've, they've got that email and said, right, here's your schedule for the promotion tour for Infinity War. You're going here for two days, here for three days, here for a day, there, there and there for one day. And that's what that's part of what you have to do with this show now. Mm-hmm. And that's and I, that's a precedent, which I I mean. It must, no wonder Capaldi left when he did. <laughs> it must be. Yeah. Must well, I mean, because Rich, Rich asked me, like, when we had did a show with him a little while ago, he sort of said to me, you know, why they leave so fast? This is why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is, it really is a 24-7 job. You don't, you don't, you don't do this and then t- take off the doctor or companion costume when you get home. Mm. Because whenever you are in public, you are this person. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, what it is, it's very much like actually at, um, well, now and in the old days, uh, pro wrestlers. When Hulk Hogan was in an airport, he still has to be Hulk Hogan. He's <laughs> getting yeah, fatty, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like The Rock still has to be The Rock. He may be exhausted. He may have not slept for a day. But if, it, but particularly if, with with kids, if a kid wants a picture, if a kid wants to almost play out an episode or throw a line of dialogue at you, you can't just ignore him. Mm. Even that, even if the if that's the thing you really want to do, you can't. Jump. That's part of the job. That's part of the responsibility. And if you don't do it, guess what? You'll you be then, crucified. You're then trending on Twitter and mm-hmm. people are yeah, people are calling you an arsehole. So you have to do that. That's so I empathize with the people involved. But it's also what you sign up for these days. Yeah. Uh, I mean there's a line. You know, there is there is a line. You know, you should know it should have to deal with abuse. Um but to deal with just general enthusiasm, that's that's the gig. That's the gig and that was beginning to happen under Davis. Like, like they went to Comic Con. I remember Davis's last year, and maybe before that. Mm-hmm. That was now a thing. You know, the Doctor Who panel at Comic Con. That's now a thing every year at Comic Con. Yeah, you got to do the panel. I don't know if it's Hall H. Probably not Hall H. But it's one of the big halls. You got to do a panel, or the media want to talk to you. You do, and then you come back home. The British media want to talk to you. And then yeah, you go to Australia. You maybe go to East Asia somewhere. You go somewhere else in Europe. This is before the, the new series, series even aired. I mean, they, they did. I mean, remember they, they, they went to America not long after filming the last series. Mm-hmm. Like a, po- a post-season thing. It's like, well, we're still, we're still, we're still doing promotions. Like we just finished the show. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that, that might be Moffat's biggest legacy, that he has turned 
the show into a brand and in terms of safeguarding the future of the show that might be the best thing to do in terms of safeguarding the future it's harder to get rid of a brand mm. yeah. it's harder for people to forget about a brand um, you know I mean I constantly get emails from Doc, the Doctor website saying like new adventure with Peter, uh, Paul McGann you know big finish thing or something mm-hmm. or new in a new interview with Chris Shibnall. It's like that's part of the brand. They have to keep giving you content, and it's not just about that. You know, twelve, thirteen episodes anymore. It's constant content now, in no matter what form it is, because they have to keep you engaged. Because if they don't keep you engaged, you're going to be engaged by something else. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that I think is that. And I mean, only time will tell. But he may be remembered as at least one of the most influential showrunners. If, if not the best, one of the most influential. I do think some of the things he's done, and not terms of just writing of the show, but his stuff around the show, hugely no, influences how the show goes forward. Prepared it for how media is now consumed and mm. the 24-7 nature of social media and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Because obviously, I mean, because obviously having it from 08 to now, how we consume stuff and how social media works has completely changed everything. So... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, big time. We're going to see. We are probably when the new series happens, the show will probably be tweeting gifts throughout the episode or just after the episode of mm-hmm. stuff that happened. You know, a, a look Jodie Whittaker gives. Um, you know, her falling down a well or something. I don't know. Whatever's going to happen. Yeah, you know, a snappy line or something. Or exactly. You know, stuff, stuff on Tumblr. That's mm-hmm. that's the. You have to do that now. Um, you have to be in the business of content creation and content pr- proliferation. Um, otherwise, ain't no one going to watch your show. So that's that's part. That's something Moffat I do think has, if nothing else, hmm. he has kind of helped ease that transition, which the show's going to have to do if it's going to remain relevant. Um, that is as important as anything else, because that helps safeguard it against executives of the BBC who are looking for reasons to cut budgets. Um, uh, and yeah, so that's something that may happen, and I, I don't know how many episodes. Has it been asked how many episodes we got yet in the new series? Ten. Oh yeah, that was it. Yeah, good. I remember being happy about that. That will help budgets as well. I mean, that I think was a. I suspect maybe towards the end, Moffat thought, "Oh, you know what? If we could only do a series of nine or ten episodes, I would be fine with. Yeah, I'm fine with like I'd be fine with eight. I could handle eight. But yeah, I think ten is eleven's probably your, your maximum." Because then you are just getting into, it's just it just kills it kills the writer it kills the writer and it burns them out and then you start getting, you know you know I'm sure if Moffat has a five year break and someone said you were trying one off episode I bet the episode would probably be the best in that in that series. I think you're probably right, you know. <laughs> mm. Though to be fair, I mean once Russell T Davies left Doctor Who, he hasn't really stepped back into it since. So on the show, you mean no? Yeah. So I don't know. I I, I kind of feel while, while it'd be nice to have Moffat back for like a one-off somewhere along the line. I don't really see it happening. I think. Oh no, I'm, I'm not expecting it. I'm definitely no. not expecting it. Um, no, I, I agree. I, yeah, I, I just mean it's a hypothetical. But yeah, no, mm-hmm. I do think it's something where maybe once you're done, it's you know, it's the kind of thing you don't. Yeah, you, once you do it, you do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't tend to see people being president or prime minister again. Mm-hmm. You know, once, once you do it and you're done, then you're done. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, do you have any like 
final thoughts, Emma? On uh, moth no, ash? I think I think I've uh, I think I've uh, ex- exhausted all my moth talk. Mm. <laughs> I think sort of one thing that I'll always take away from his time as showrunner is he actually did get into the nitty gritty of temporal mechanics, um, which yes. I do like because it's a time travel show. But often enough, like Doctor Who is very linear in its storytelling. And, you know, a lot of people sort of come like, oh, it's, it's too complicated. It's really not. He does manage to, I mean, for all we say, he drops a lot of threads. When he does like the temporal stuff, he does bring it all together. I mean, just look at um, Day of the Doctor. You oh, know, yeah, the stuff. Yeah. The stuff that I that we were complaining about those are those are an ancillary parts of a plot, mm-hmm. and it's just that they were promising things that never went anywhere. Yeah. But the, yeah. the, the but the main narrative mm-hmm. always made sense. Always made sense. Yeah, and sort of you know for all people say go oh Moffat must go and oh god you know what a terrible show in it. At the time, like thinking back on it, it's sort of like he was kind. I don't want to say he was the guy we deserved, but he was kind of like somebody had to pick up the mantle from Russell T Davies and I sort of, I can't think of like anybody else who was writing Doctor Who at that time could have like run with it I mean we you and I, I mean, have always said like we'd love to see like Toby Whithouse be a showrunner but we haven't mm. really seen like I mean yes he's written a lot of stuff for Doctor Who but sort of like nothing I mean like flatline aside and things like that like he, oh sorry, sorry, um, that was Jamie Matheson. So excuse me, um, like Jamie Matheson is, is shown because he's done some cracking episodes. But it's sort of like uh, you sort of like need something a bit more to say. Right, this guy can do it. And well, yeah. well, Toby Whithouse actually. I mean, you say Toby. Whithouse, he mm. actually has a background in. He has run a. Oh, team uh, yes, yeah. Sorry, I was I was getting confused with Jamie yeah. Matheson. Yeah. Jamie Matheson, I don't think has Sarah Dollard. I don't think has no. even though no. I definitely want to see her write more, even if she's not in charge. Um, Toby Whithouse makes sense because he has he's written plenty for the show mm-hmm. generally, and he has a background. He has <laughs> helming shows and for the BBC as well. Yeah, but it's like when you look at like what Moffat did. As, yeah, as Chibnall, by the way. I mean, I'm yeah, not. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Chibnall agnostic, but one thing I'll give Chibnall, he knows how to run a big, populist program. He's mm-hmm. done that before. Yeah, you can't, yeah. can't say he hasn't got the, the resume or CV. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's sort of another sports analogy, in my view, is like uh, the phrase, <laughs> you don't want to be the guy that follows the guy. You want to be the guy that follows the guy that follows yeah. the guy. Yeah. And maybe Chibnall is, is the one. You yeah. know, he's not the guy that follows the guy. He's the guy afterwards. Yeah. So, um, listeners, if you're keeping up with the uh, sports analogy drinking game... Yep. Um, you might Down to check finish yourself. your drinks. Yeah, <laughs> might want to check yourself into A and E right about now. Yep. Uh, so, um, let us know your final thoughts on Stephen Moffat. You can email us at greatestshowsimplysyndicated dot com. You can tweet us at greatestshowpod, or you can visit our Facebook page at facebook dot com slash greatestshowpodcast. Please do check out our many sister shows on the network, and as always, we welcome your support. The best way you can help us out is by signing up to Simply Everything. A monthly fee of just £6 gives you access to our ad-free versions of current shows such as ourselves, a library of podcasts from the network's archives, and shows that are exclusive to the service. We also have a merchandise store that offers apparel and accessories to both Europe and America. We have a Patreon, and you can donate to the network through PayPal, of which links to both are on the bottom of the website. So thank you very much for joining us again, Shane. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And until next time, take care and bye-bye.